WAPG. It's the Airline Pilot Guy. Airline Pilot Guy episode 376. Listening to the Airline Pilot Guy Show, the view from our side of the cockpit door, with your host, Captain Jeff, broadcasting live from Studio 4G at the Crown Plaza Hotel in Dayton, Ohio. Today's show is recorded on the 21st of May, 2019. In today's episode, two crop duster pilots die when their planes collide in California. New details on a Jetstar A320, which initiated a non-standard go-around in Sydney. And a student pilot in Australia loses consciousness for 40 minutes. More news, your feedback, and in today's plane tales, I counted them all out. So get all settled in, tray tables and seatbacks in the upright and locked positions. Electronic devices powered on. I'm Radio Roger, and Flight 376 is ready for pushback. Thank you, Radio Roger, a real-life radio professional in the world's largest radio market, New York City. We do appreciate that. And I am Captain Jeff, uh, the host of the show here. I am an airline pilot, and I'm a guy, hence the airline pilot guy. And I'm, as Roger just said, in Dayton, Ohio, the birthplace of aviation. I think stuff might. Yeah, okay, I was expecting that. Uh, you, you heard that lovely voice in the background going, <laughs> well, from her lakeside studio in South Carolina, she's a doctor, a skydiver, marathon runner, strength training junkie, IPA connoisseur, and commercial multi-engine instrument rated pilot. It's the lovely Dr. Steph. Hey, Captain Jeff. I don't know about lovely voice today. My apologies for people going, who is that and what have you done with Dr. Steph? allergies got the better of me last week and um i don't know at least you can hear me today so we'll give this a go yeah sounds pretty good i think all right and also joining us from his studio in the english countryside he's a professional photographer a former raf raaf fighter pilot and former captain for an international airline based in london captain nick Ah, did you say former captain? I did. I've still got eleven days, no, ten days I'm left. I'm not to dead go. yet. <laughs> okay, I'm not we'll dead that yet. <laughs> Current captain. Anyway, uh, thank you very much. Even though I'm not actually going to step on the flight deck uh, wearing my stripes ever again. Um, so anyway, lovely to see you. Great to be back on the show. Looking forward to it. Excellent. And uh, Dana may end up joining us a little bit later in the show. Right now, he is being a good Samaritan for a good friend of his. And uh, hopefully we'll, we'll hear from him. Uh, he is uh, on the road in Florida. Actually, he is literally on the road. <laughs> on the Try, side of the road. On the yeah. side of the road, with uh, right next to a, uh, uh, a boat on a trailer. And uh, anyway, so I'm sure we'll hear about that at some point. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, so welcome to the Airline Pilot Guy show. It's a... Uh, Kind of a talk show uh, podcast that we uh, talk about stuff in the news and uh, kind of add our commentary to it. And also uh, we answer a lot of folks' questions and feedback. And here we are. Um, so the first part of the show here, we usually do a little bit of a um, 
catch up and see what people have been doing. And I don't think really much has happened at all since uh, the last episode. So why don't we uh, go ahead and just move right on into yep, the, right uh, into the, the news. news. Oh, wait a minute. Hang on. Stand by for news. Of course, I'm kidding. There has been a lot of stuff that has happened. I'm not saying a word. <laughs> so, hmm. Uh, who wants to start off with the, uh, the the festivities that occurred on Sunday in a town somewhere near London in the UK? Well, I don't know. Steph, do you want to try? Uh, well, I I <laughs> think I was invi- actually invited to this one, but I couldn't make it, unfortunately. So um, I, I don't have all the details. You might have to fill us in, Nick. I was a little disappointed not to see you popping out from behind some For the, door. The second somewhere. weekend in a row. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, yeah. Uh, I yeah, would have come, Jeff, uh, Nick, but uh, I was not invited. So that's true. Well, I did actually make that request <laughs> to the organizers, but uh, <laughs> so. now wait a minute. You're telling us you knew about this event? No, I knew nothing so about it. So he said, it. in was... case you were thinking about doing some kind of a yeah, big soiree, don't, yeah, don't please, yeah, 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 please make sure it's just the nice people that, that come. Jeff guy, you know. Yeah. Now I'd love to have seen you both uh, there and Dana, of course. But uh, Liz, uh, however, managed to m- make the journey over and represented you wonderfully. So let me try and explain. It was just a, a quiet week, uh, and uh, Jilly had organized for a, uh, my old friend, uh, Captain Nige, who uh, you know, was with us uh, when we did our pre Farnborough show uh, last week. We went up to his place, Yoroma, and did the show from uh, his house beautiful house mm-hmm. um not far from riyadh and then nige came with us uh, to riyadh and we had a wonderful time anyway N- nige uh, wanted to come down and uh, do the return half of the visit so we had him booked in for the weekend and uh i uh, thought well that's a big fun and i said to jilly look um nige is coming down but it's like for three days i need to play a game of bowls on sunday afternoon so i'll just disappear for a, for a few hours you can entertain them and uh, she looked at me and her eyes went wide and she said, no. <laughs> Sorry? She said, what? no. He, he's went, got all this ever to come down. The least you could do is be, you know, here. And I'm going, oh. Oh, oh I'm in the doghouse. Okay. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I, oh, did, I didn't realize right. that was going to be such a, a problem. I know. I thought, well, it'll only be a few hours. It's a league match and the boys are desperate to have me on board. So anyway, I went, okay. She said, no, no, no. Ricky and Doug are coming to London. We're all going out to a nice pub for lunch so i went okay we'll work fair enough anyway when i came downstairs and we were about to set off to go to this pub uh i looked at everybody and they're all dolled up to the nines and i'm sort of scruffing around in shorts and an old t-shirt and i went hmm uh do i need to get changed jilly said yeah that'd be nice we've made an effort so I went upstairs <laughs> and- <laughs> we, we didn't tell you we were going to make an effort but so you can no, see what did, we've done i don't know why they didn't tell me so i went upstairs and put a you know a shirt and jacket and trousers on and, and nice shoes and came back down and we drove off to the pub and uh, uh I, on the way in i uh, i spotted a, a lovely old visla and, you know, our, our old girls just died. And I thought, oh, well, I've got to go and say hello to this lovely old visa, chatted to the um, the owners and petted this visa for a little while and turned around and expected to see everyone in the pub. And they're all standing there at the front of this pub just glaring at me. <laughs> 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 what is going on? 
anyway, uh, regardless, I stepped in. I tried to turn left to go and get a drink. And Nigel said, no, 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 they're serving the drinks down here. And you I'm go, going, what? No, I've been to this pub. There's no <laughs> bar down there. What's going on anyway? So I dutifully walked down. And mm-hmm. as I came around the corner, I suddenly saw a pair of heads disappear behind a wall. And I thought, hello, hello. <laughs> my spider senses, my spidey senses are tingling. <laughs> and as I came around the corner, there was this huge array of happy, friendly faces and huge cameras, uh, which obscured most of Nev's face. Uh, and lots of lovely friends who were there uh, uh, with a surprise party. Big I, table laid out. It was fabulous. Now, you know, I have some audio from this. It actually, it's uh, the audio from a video that uh, Nev um, took, and uh, they mixed, and the video will be made available. I'm sure there are many different places that we can see it. Uh, but uh, I'm going to play. You, you think it would be okay if I played some of that audio? I'd be great okay. if you've got everyone's names because I'm going to struggle. Yeah, so, so I think people. that you're going to hear most of these names uh, in this audio, Nick. So oh, super. here we go. This starts off with, uh, if you can ma- imagine the setting, uh, it's a lovely booth that uh, two beautiful individuals are sitting in. And here we go. Hi, everybody. It's Nev here from the Plain Talking UK podcast. And I'm at the Renaissance Hotel in London, very near Heathrow Airport. Look who I've got next to me. It's Liz Piper. Hi, Liz. Hi, Nev. What on earth are you doing here? Well, I was driving past the airport in Toronto on Friday, and I ended up on a plane. Wow. And here I am. (laughs) Fantastic. So what are we going to do today? Well, I heard there was some kind of event going on. Um, Maybe in honour of Captain Nick. Mm. So we're going to go down and uh, see what that's all about. Very cool. Well, we've got a video crew over at uh, the pub in Petersfield, where we're going to. So uh, let's hand over to you, Matt. Yes, thanks, Nev. Hi. Yes, we are live here at the uh, Trooper Inn. We're uh, in a little place called Froxfield, um, just off the A3. So uh, absolutely beautiful village, beautiful. We've been really lucky with the weather, uh, really sunny. Um, so really can't wait. Nick's due uh, probably in about ooh, about an hour's time, something like that. So we're very much looking forward to the big surprise on his face. Oh, I Surprise! Liz, what are you doing here? Oh, hi, everybody. Hello. 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 So, how are you? I'm good. What are you doing here? I don't know, I just found my way here. Oh, it's a nice nice. Thank you very much. Um, I don't know quite what to say. Stop recording. Dearly beloved, (laughs) we are gathered here today to celebrate the end of a remarkable aviation career. Young Nick, (laughs) Captain Nick, Squadron Leader Nick, Glider Pilot Nick. Just to put it in context first, I'd just like to say that Nick has been a bit like a bad penny or a bad smell. He's recurred throughout my life at various crises points, just so that you know why Lou, Valerie and I are sitting here. 
Um, I first met Nick on a parade ground at RAF Henlow. He was on Yellow Squadron, and the good guys were on Blue Squadron. <laughs> what squadron were you on? Blue Squadron. <laughs> Naturally. Oh, I fell into that one, didn't I? <laughs> Shut up, drink more red wine. Um, prior to that, Nick had been in the Air Training Corps, and he'd got his Silver Sea flying Sedberg gliders, swapping cockpits with people mid-flight just for fun in tandem uh, was it side by side um, so he was a bit of a reprobate before we met him and then the good guys met him when we got to RAF North Luffenham for our aeromedical training and there was this yellow squadron guy who was coming on our flying course our flying course to be four course and uh, Nick um, and I sort of bonded during four course. He drove a mo motorbike for a start, which helped. Um, the only problem was he was a bit of an antisocial person because at weekends he used to go off to see his girlfriend. <laughs> <laughs> who? Where is she down there? Um, she was. I think she was a, a teacher at Teacher Training College down in Winchester or somewhere. Where I have no idea where that was. And we survived, we survived Dick Maysfield and everything that the RAF could throw us at four course Linton or RAF Linton on ooze, Jet Provost Mark 3s, Jet Provost Mark 5s. And I think we started with about 20 and we ended up with 10. And of the 10, there are still seven alive. Um, so, and I did invite the other um, five, but they said not bloody lightly. Uh, so, um, after that, we had a break between basic jet training on Jet Provost and going to advanced flying training school. Um, the last thing I needed right then was a girlfriend because I'd nearly fallen out of the course on basic training. And we had about a couple of months off and Nick rings me up one, uh, I think it was an Easter holiday or a May day holiday. He says, hey, now, do you want to meet for a beer at the Bear Green uh, pub? Was it King's Head on the A24, I think? <laughs> and I said, sure, mate. Yeah, because it's sort of halfway between Guildford and where I was staying with my mum. And he says, well, I'll bring Jilly. And I think you're still engaged at that point. I said, sure, and Jilly's bringing a friend. So that was the first number one marker in my life. Here we are, <laughs> 42 years later or whatever. So Nick introduced me to my wife-to-be. Thank you, Nick, for that. That was Julie's fault. Don't forget that <laughs> these two were at Teacher Training College together. Uh, and I found out where Winchester was. <laughs> um, then we went to through flying training, um, and then we went down to Haverford West. Um, I think we both got married somewhere along the way. Yeah, that's right. And it uh, didn't take long in those days, is it? 22-year-old, well, being married 11, um, going out 11 months, let's get married for the rest of our lives, right? <laughs> Seems to work. And uh, so then we're down in Haverford West. There is a tactical weapons unit where you learn to kill people. Up until that point, you've been tr learning how to try and stay alive. And uh, Nick wasn't very good at dropping bombs, but he's very good at shooting bullets at other aeroplanes. So he went off to... Air Defenders. Actually, the real reason was because he kept getting lost around Wales. Uh, and, That's true. That's and, the real and they said, you need a navigator in the back seat, mate. Best, best we give you a navigator. <laughs> so they gave him a navigator. 
we went our ways, he went his way, and about three years later, we'd both been kicked off our first squadron thinking, we're cool. <laughs> and we end up going to RAF Leeming and meeting to become flying instructors. We were both a bit disgruntled about that, and that's where we met Dave, DL, down there. And we went off to flying training school, and Nick and I went through the course together, and we're now trying to be responsible pilots, showing people how to fly aeroplanes. And so, Valley being Valley at RF Anglesey, tend to get a bit fogged out, and the weather was poor. And so Nick came up with this bright idea, let's go to Lucas. I've got mates up at Lucas, and we can have a barrel of beer. So we somehow persuaded the flight commander to send us off to Lucas. We were going to practice something on the way there, have a couple of beers, practice something on the way back. And uh, so we were super keen to be leaving all this behind. So we jump in the aeroplane, whole row of Hawk aeroplanes, we walk out, he goes around the left side, I go around the right side, we jump in the aeroplane, whiz off, land at Lucas at the other end, and now we're really in beer mode, let's go get a beer. <laughs> and uh, I say, okay, Nick, check the fatigue meters. He goes in the nose of your beer, and goes, one, 327, th- 336, no, 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 that doesn't work. And then we realised we'd come in the wrong aeroplane. <laughs> <laughs> So at that point, Nick bravely rang up the flight commander and we turned around and he orders... You say wait till the end of the weekend, didn't you? I did. And did I I listen to you? No. No. So he rang up Dave Nelson. Dave Nelson said, yeah, we know. Get your ass back here. So we we got straight in the aeroplane. No beer. No beer. We did not not get 200 pounds. We did not. Wrong way Ferguson didn't. Well, it was wrong play and And I was going to give him absolute... Well, it's all your fault, Nick, but I did look in my logbook and I... I was the captain, I'm <laughs> <laughs> um, And then later on, I decided to go parachuting. And Nick um, is the second person to be by my bedside when I wake up. And I think, OK, Nick, thank you very much for being here when I've ejected from an aeroplane. And then I eventually go out of the Air Force and I go to Hong Kong. And uh, I get fired by my uh, airline for the first time, I might add. And uh, then I, and guess who's there when I get fired? Nick. <laughs> so I was just, I just had the line. And Nigel says, uh, ordered some news, but they've just fired me. <laughs> so I can safely say that if you want a good friend, Nick's a good friend, but he makes your life a lot more exciting. Nick, now, after his shaky start, climbing from cockpit to cockpit on the Sedberg or whatever it was in in the glider, um, he has amassed about 20,000 hours, and he doesn't know how many, because he lost his logbook because he's not digitally competent and his navigator (laughs) didn't tell him how to do it. Um, Nick's got about 20,000 hours. Um, He... I have to give him a lot of kudos because he doesn't have one hour on a Boeing. He might have flown McDonnell Douglas, um, but he never flew a Boeing. And uh, so that's his claim to fame, or one of his claims to fame. Fortunately, having kept in touch with him, I've learned that he's a pretty good raconteur, which is how you guys have got to know him, I think. And at this point, I'm handing the raconteur over to Nick to do a shorter speech than I've done, I hope. Um.
I, I would have to start by thanking you all for making the great effort to come and join me. This was very unexpected and a real pleasure to see you all. Um, Liz flew all the way from Toronto. I can't believe it. Thank you very much, Liz. My pleasure. Um, Dave uh, and Fee, I haven't seen them, uh, you know, for years. And that was such a surprise. We've got air traffic from Heathrow, who I thought were very brave to come, Graham and Adam. Um, uh, and because, you know, I have rarely had a good word to say. Uh, <laughs> 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 But, yeah, to be absolutely fair, they always give as good as they get. Uh, we've got friends from PTUK, and you guys are wonderful. We love you. have got my two sons here. Hey, hi, boys. Thanks so much. And my darling wife, who has sat beside me through thick and thin for how many years now? Oh, only about 44. 44 years. Okay. That's not bad. Oh, 45. Oh, 45 now. <laughs> Okay, that's good. I, I was that's 20 good. when I met you, I suppose, so yeah, no, it's 44. So, um, <laughs> uh, 45 years of flying, well, actually professional flying, 48 years, I guess, since I did my first solo, and uh, it's all come to a grinding halt. But it's made all the better because I have made some wonderful friends in the aviation community, and uh, I will be able to live vicariously through them and through all the other friends I have and I will have had my interest and uh, my love of aviation renewed through uh, APG uh, and through my friends in PTUK and uh, I know Pip isn't here but he's another great friend who does another podcast and um, it's made me you know, start enjoying the whole aviation scene again when it was getting to the point after so many years that it had become a bit stale in my mind but that's not there anymore and now it's uh, it's lovely to meet friends and uh, talk about old uh, times and uh, you know spread the word that uh, we're a great community and it's lovely to stick together mm. so thank you very much indeed Here's to you, Lots of us have all come together to um, <coughs> come up with a little gift that hopefully Jilly will permit you to possibly mount on your wall. Downstairs toilet. Well, okay. <coughs> so uh, it's behind this tablecloth. Okay. And this is just the token of all of our appreciation, all of the community's appreciation for everything you've, that you've done and entertained us and informed us. So hopefully this provides a memento of your 48 years, you said? Yeah. Please. Well, thank you very much. It's, it's uh, slightly you delicate. couldn't find a, tea, a clean well, table. Huh? No, no, no. <laughs> that's, that's for the Boeing pilots. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Oh, wow. Oh, lovely. That's fantastic. So hopefully you, you might notice it's uh, uh -huh. a specific uh -huh. aircraft as well. Ah, uh, that's Foxtrot. That was um, that was the airplane that and the Phantom that had my um, own name on it. Mm. And that's uh, F-18. And there you go. So that's beautiful. Who made this? Uh, it's um, the guy who that mug that you that I gave you last year, mm -hmm. um, Jim Walker Spider. That was he. He does this. Well, so we all beautiful. we all commissioned him to create these uh, these pieces for you. Oh, that is fantastic. Thank you very much indeed. No problem at all. Very kind. Great. My pleasure.
Again, uh, beautifully produced and uh, created by Nev uh, with help from Matt and others. But I think uh, the bulk of it was uh, Nev's doing. So very nice job. Again, that was the audio from the video. You need to watch the video. I'll probably upload that to YouTube and then have a uh, private link for people to check it out. And uh, as we were speaking and, and hearing about that uh, piece of art that was commissioned uh, for Nick, it's right behind Nick's left shoulder in the video. Of course, you're listening to the audio right now. You'll have to check out the video and or I'm sure I'll put a, a couple of pictures in there of the uh, surprise retirement uh, get together. Um, and uh, Nick is trying to zoom in a bit so that everybody in the on the live show in the live chat room can see and uh nick do do your best to explain what we're looking at there well it, it is the most wonderful um handcrafted piece and it's it's a big white and beautifully shiny board and on it are mounted uh, the tails of three aircraft that i flew not every aircraft i flew but uh the most beloved uh and they're is a phantom tail, Foxtrot. Uh, uh, there's uh, a Hornet tail from the Australian Air Force 77 Squadron, and there's a, a great big Virgin 340 tail. And the lovely thing is that not only are they beautifully made and painted, uh, they are mounted almost in 3D. So the phantom tail looks like it's in the distance, then in the middle is the Hornet tail, and then uh, standing proud at the right at the front is the uh, is the Virgin uh uh, 340 tell I can say that now because yeah. I'm I'm more or less uh, retired uh, and they're actually mounted at different distances from the board so they cast a bigger shadow and it's just beautifully thought out wonderfully made they're all made out of uh, aluminium so just like the real thing um, and it was just the most wonderful gift and uh, you know it, 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 it touched me I really choked up at the time because I found it very hard to speak because I, I, I was just so taken aback with the generosity of everyone that had contributed and um, was there. And it just was just a lovely, lovely event and a, a wonderful thought. So enormous thanks to uh, Adam, who I think was one of the main instigators who organized the gift. Uh, of course, Nigel and Jilly, who uh, helped organize the event, but also to... Um, the contributors who, you know, um, made the purchase of that gift, or that specially commissioned gift possible. So you, Jeff, and Steph, and Dana, and Liz, and Dave Abbey from uh, New York, Tanya, Tiff, Tiffany, sorry, Phil Davis, Jen, Nev, Micah, Dispatcher, Mike, uh, Captain Al, who sent me a special video, uh, you know, congratulating me that we played at the event. There was Pip and Carlos and Matt and Myla and Rick Bell and Graham Haley. And I probably missed someone out, but that's a wonderful uh, list of people who, in fact, uh, Adam told me that lots of other people wanted to, to contribute as well. Uh, but he said it was just getting too hard to manage. So he, he sort of had to call a halt. So thanks to everyone who uh, uh, was trying to uh, help and, Giving ideas, I gather there was an enormous organization behind to come up with a good idea. But that on my wall there behind me is just a fantastic 
reminder of uh, my flying career and uh, it's going to be with me forever it looks superb and it's just in the perfect place so it'll be behind me forever and uh, I'll, every time i look around i can see that and it'll uh, bring back all sorts of wonderful memories all i can say is nice tales <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and yeah. really, you know, the way we kind of envision it is we want something from the the community for you and I know not everyone, you know, uh contributed in the same way towards it, but um we wanted it to reflect that. So well, it certainly does, and it, it's the most wonderful uh, thing and, and no one else in the world will have one that is, is even close to uh, that in the way of uh, of its design and how it uh, evokes memories for me. It's absolutely superb. So uh, I just think it's it's fantastic. And, of course, it was lovely to see uh, everyone uh, at that dinner. Uh, and then we all went back to uh, uh, our place, and Jilly uh, put on a big tea of uh, traditional English afternoon tea of scones and cream and jam. Uh, and then... Uh, most people had to leave, but uh, DL, who uh, uh, I'd known for you know forty years and had been, he was another Phantom pilot. We were instructors together, and uh, Nige, of course, who I've known since almost the day I joined the Air Force, uh, and his lovely wife uh, Lou, whose proper name is Valerie, but she's called Lou, so that's too hard to explain. <laughs> we uh, and Fee, of course, uh, we stayed behind. Uh, uh, late and drank until, uh, you know, I was falling asleep in my chair and we just talked old uh, stories and had a great day. So when it comes to retirement parties, it was perfect. And thank you for everyone, to everyone, for helping make it a wonderful day. Well, it's not the end of the retirement party slash yeah, celebration. You're not on the hook yet. Yeah. There's more to come. <laughs> yeah, this is just the <laughs> first part. I, just, I don't think I've got enough tear ducts left to cope. <laughs> Good. I'm glad they're dry. We don't need to see any of that anymore. Just celebration and, uh, yeah. I'm glad I don't cry. Um, I thought I'd mention uh, that in the background. Is that a challenge, Jeff? No. How many days do you have left? <laughs> Not, Until retirement? Uh, yeah. I think Nick and I can, can figure something uh, out. Yeah. Sure no, 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 no. Uh, I'm sure that <laughs> this whole APG thing will be just a, a distant memory by the time I retire. Um, some hope. Uh-uh. <laughs> some, do no hope. <laughs> um, some do hope. But I, I was going to mention that uh, in the video, everybody can see the the piece of artwork that uh, uh, that Adam commissioned, and uh, right next to it, another piece of art <laughs> that Adam commissioned. Actually, he came up with himself, and we talked about it on the last show, or maybe the show before that. Uh, the uh, the the uh, what's it called? The uh, something of Anderson procedure? The removal? The re- revocation? Yeah, the, re- the removal of Anderson. Removal. Of the Anderson procedures, so uh, that's uh, framed uh, nicely right next to the uh, the three tail artwork there. So, absolutely. Now, uh, um, I also got a, a wonderful gift. Uh, well, I got several gifts, uh, but the one I want to particularly mention, of course, because Liv- Liz, our lovely producer, uh, managed to find another lovely bottle of uh, Cartier uh, whiskey. She obviously thinks I go through at least a uh, liter a day um <laughs> but uh, i'm going to make this one last but more importantly with it we're a lovely uh, set of uh whiskey glasses uh that are all engraved uh with different uh scenes uh different engravings of visla uh dogs uh such as i have and uh, they're in four different poses and they 
just classic of the breed. And they're a wonderful gift. And this one I'm drinking out of tonight says uh, dog spirit, and underneath it is uh, the Visla. So I uh, think it's absolutely lovely gift. Thank you very much indeed, Liz. And I mentioned off uh, be- before we started recording, my favorite is the one where the dog is humping the owner's leg. Yeah, very, very nice. It's a little bit uh, less traditional, but yeah, yeah, it's, it's called like energetic. That's the one I want to use when I'm back over there. <laughs> okay. Yeah, humping. It'll be reserved for you, no doubt. Thank you. Mix, uh, yeah, cabinet, yes. Oh wow! Again, what a great time you all had, uh, and I'm glad that we were able to live uh, through you vicariously and uh, all your great experience over there. Well, it was a super. I'm sorry to have taken up my, my, so much time. But, yeah, okay. Uh, That's I it. Wanna, time to time for the that, show to end. Um. <laughs> <laughs> just want to mention one tiny little thing. Uh, I did mention in the last show that I'd been on uh, a little podcast called Every Little Thing. It's not a very little podcast; it's actually quite a big podcast. Um, and uh, I managed to get a few plugs for the show there. So Jeff will put a. Uh, uh, I'm sure a link uh, so that you can listen to that if you want. It's called Cockpit Confessions, Co- Cockpit Confessions, the truth about aeroplane mode or airplane mode and more. Uh, so uh, myself and a, another pilot called Sandy Williams uh, were on that answering questions a bit like today, but they do it slightly differently over there. I think you'd have done a better job though, Jeff. Yeah. Uh, she did a fine no, job. No, I listened I listen this morning on the way to work. It's very cleverly done and, and edited, and uh, I enjoyed it. Yeah. I, yeah, I was, yeah, he did it's a great a fun, job. Fun little, uh, very short podcast, I might add. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's just the right amount of time for a podcast. Oh, wait. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, we better well, stop about now. All right, and with that, that's, uh, <laughs> see you all that's next week. That's the end of the show. Um, thanks for joining us, yeah. everyone. Um, we had a great time today. <laughs> oh, wait. That's not the outro. Hmm. Got to figure out where that is. Close enough. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, we're getting a lot of, I'm getting a lot of vibes today from my co-host. Love you, Jeff. Do, yeah. Mm-hmm. We do. Okay. We do. Uh, let's see. Well, Steph, what have you been up to? Well, I was, you know, um, circumstances did not allow for me to get to England this past weekend, even though I did know about the, uh, the get together. So my, um, my apologies for not, uh, making it this past weekend, but I had a good time, obviously, the weekend before um, with uh, the folks at Duxford. So I was glad I was able to make it for that. But uh, partly because we, um, a lot of stuff going on just uh, kind of personally in the family right now. Um, but long story short, my brothers are in town. And uh, between myself and my neighbor on Saturday evening, afternoon, evening, we hosted a, uh, a party, um, both of both myself and my neighbors have um, either personally or within the family have had folks dealing with uh, cancer and, and battling that. And uh, we wanted to have a little party to say F you to cancer. So that's that's what we did. And um, it was a pretty good turnout. Um, we uh, actually, Jeff was there and Armando came, was nice enough to come by with his wife. And um, Dana was invited, but fortunately had the good sense to, um, he, he had other more important things that he needed to take care of. And I will let him discuss that if he so wishes, uh, when he gets here for the, the show. So, um, uh, but anyway, it was, um, nice evening for it. Warm evening. Um, had some nice barbecue, lots of beverages, party punches, and, um, folks stuck around kind of late. Um, we ended up, uh, at the fire pits, uh, after dark. And uh, I think we 
turned in about one thirty in the morning finally. So uh, not me. Didn't move. <laughs> yeah, Jeff, Jeff has way that. more sense. Yeah, way more sense. I'm than just that. curious, Jeff. Party punches? Mm-hmm. Is that when you get in a fight with the guests? <laughs> well, that's what happens after you drink the punch. That's why I wanted <laughs> to leave before all that happened. <laughs> Yeah, I don't like violence. Uh, yeah, no, no, we, uh, you know, uh, just just some festive drinks. Is fruit we'll, punch. We'll that way. Fruit punches right. with a lot of alcohol in them. All right. Or hunch and, punch. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it was, it was a very nice night and a uh, kind of a fun thing to do and a way to, especially for my, my neighbors, they've been through quite a bit and it was a fun way to release some pent-up uh, steam and, and not have a whole lot of cares for an evening, so that was nice. Um. Sunday. Yeah. Uh, the fun continues on Sunday. Um, you know, Colonel Jeff, the good looking Captain Ooh. Jeff. No, not familiar yeah. with him. Not familiar with him. He had a long Charlotte layover. So he had actually, um, gotten in touch with me when he had it, when he first got his schedule and said, Hey, if you're around, um, be great to meet up. Um, it was kind of a busy day, but we were able to get together in the afternoon and we actually all went over to Top Golf. And played a couple of rounds of golf. It was myself and my brothers and uh, Justice and Colonel Jeff. And turns out Jeff is really good at golf. After talking about how terrible he was at it, he's not. That was lies. Uh, All lies. He he ran away with the first round. But I'm happy to say that after I got a beverage in me, my golf game improved and I won the second round. So Everything's better with alcohol. (laughs) It really is. Golfing and bowling are very much the same for me. One beer in, and that's where I peak. Ah, okay. Excellent. Yeah. Well, I, w- I wish that I'd been able to join you all. I was invited to uh, join the, the Top Golf party, but I needed to get back to Atlanta. So. Yes, understandable. Glad you could make it for, yeah, me for too. the uh, evening. Great time. That was nice to see you. Great seeing everybody there. Okay. And uh, let's see, in about, uh, let's see, one, two, three days or something special, isn't there, stuff? In three Happy days. birthday to nah. you. Three, three Happy days. birthday to you. Happy birthday, dear Stephanie. Happy birthday to you. And many more. I thought Nick was going to join in sooner I, than that. I tried to restrain it because I knew it would sound awful and Jeff was doing such a wonderful job. Anyway, my <laughs> it was version, a very lovely rendition. Yes, my version includes squash tomatoes and stew, <laughs> uh, bread and butter in the gutter. Uh, happy birthday to you. So that wouldn't have gone quite so well. No. Nah. Yeah, it would have been would have been a little different. Like I'm not version. familiar with that version. But, uh, so, yeah. Some, someday you'll have to uh, perform for me. <laughs> I'll always And sing happy oh, birthday. Okay. All right. Yes. Uh, On my actual birthday, perhaps. Yeah. Yeah. How, but what, how how nice is Rick Bell? Happy twenty first birthday, Steph. <laughs> how true it is. How true. So it is Friday, correct? It is Friday. Yes. Okay. Thank you, Micah, for you. pointing that out to to us behind the scenes. Yeah. How did Rick done? It was the twenty first. It's very clever because today he's is just the very, 21st. He's just very smart. Yes. He's, he's wise. Rick is a wise okay. man. He yes. knows today's date. That's marvelous. <laughs> yeah, it is the 21st today, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it'll be nice. Um, my brothers will still be in town. And, oh, um, neat. You know, it works out a lot of years where they just have this holiday in the United States right on my uh, birthday weekend. So uh, I'll be at work on Friday, but Monday is off. So it'll be a nice Brilliant. day to relax and what enjoy. Great day to be born. It is indeed. So. All right. 
Um, let's see. I uh, had that trip that I was supposed to be on when we recorded the last episode uh, that I called in sick for because of my allergy and bronchitis and that kind of thing. And I thought, uh, and then we just mentioned that I, I was able to uh, head over to Tiga K for that party and had a great time. And uh, on Sunday, uh, Acme scheduling was calling to see whether or not I was going to be able to fly the trip that I'm on now. And I thought, yeah, sure, I feel pretty good. And uh, I'd say I was right about 95% or so. It was a little How's bit that of ear feel. Yeah, my, my <laughs> left ear was not quite perfect, but uh, it was uh, okay. So, uh, uh, so I called in well. And uh, yesterday it was pretty tough. One leg to Savannah today, uh, two legs, whoo, um, to uh, Dayton, Ohio. And then tomorrow is going to be really tough. Three legs. We go to Atlanta and then a Rochester turn. And then I'm home uh, to kind of get packed up and ready to hit the road again. I'm going to drive right on past the Charlotte area and past Steph. I'll wave, Steph, if you're, if you're looking. Uh, on the way to uh, Elon, North Carolina, uh, where we will be celebrating my youngest daughter, uh, Natalie's, uh, um, what do you call it, graduation. There we go. From, uh, from Elon University. So she's getting her uh, bachelor's degree in accounting. And uh, the retirement ceremony, the retirement ceremony. See, I see Nick, what you've done to me. It's not a retirement ceremony. It's a graduation ceremony is on Friday. So uh, looking forward to uh, having a great uh, weekend with family and celebration. By the sounds of it, Jeff, you're, your, your memory is going. I think it's time for you to. You know, retire. it's funny. Go, you know, kind of living through your retirement lately, and I'm thinking, you know, I don't have that much longer to go. I'm, <laughs> I'm starting to shift into this retirement mode already. I'm thinking, well, what the heck? Uh, way to go! Yeah, man, I don't have to. Go. I don't have to wait for another four and a half years. I can go whenever I want. Nah. As long as <laughs> I work can, is overrated. Yeah, but uh, we'll see. Um, a lot of people asking about, uh, yeah, so what are you going to do, Jeff? Are you going to stay on the uh, Mad Dog or are you going to go to something else? And uh, so here's the de definitive. Um, I'm going to stay on it for as long as I can until they kick me off, which is going to be anywhere from two years to maybe possibly uh, my retirement date at the end of uh, 2023. These uh, retirements never go as fast as they say they're going to, but... If and when they do kick me off the airplane because there are no mad dogs left to fly, I'm either going to do one of two things. I'll uh, downgrade to the 717. And when I say downgrade, it's because the pay rates are a little bit lower, not not significantly such or so. But um, uh, the good thing about that would be it's only a six-day school. So just basically learning the differences between mm -hmm. the uh, 717, which is basically a mad dog. And um, that would be the, the least amount of resistance or hassle for me because I hate going to school. Um, and the other direction would be to go over to the 757, 767, 767 ER category, which is all one big category at Acme. And that would allow me to do the kind of flying that I enjoy doing, which is domestic flying. Um, and that, that would be mostly uh, flying the 757, which I hear is just a wonderful airplane to fly. And um, maybe on occasion, you know, fly an airplane over to uh, the UK or uh, somewhere in Europe. That might be a, a nice change of pace. Uh, it certainly would. That would be great fun. Yeah. So mm -hmm. that's a possibility. That would require a little bit more effort on my part because I'd have to learn a new airplane and get a new type rating and all that. So uh, the uh, 717. It, it's other. just like riding a bike. All airplanes yeah, but are, seeing like I'm not a, flying. I'm an old dog now, uh, just like the oh. airplane that I'm flying. Oh, 
Well, so don't, don't fall off the bike. Yeah. So we'll see. Um, but either of those choices will be fantastic. Will be a great uh, opportunities for me. So that's that's what I my plan is. And no, no Airbus in my future. It's just too close to the end for me. So um, I'm I'm kind of old school. So yeah, I'll just from leave one steam driven airplane to another. There you go. Fine. I there you go. every you know every airplane that I've flown in my life has been old when I when I got on it. You know, have, has been around for a while. Let me just put it that way. Old, trusted, tried, and true technology. So why not just keep it that way till the very end? So, it's a great idea. There we go. And uh, yes, Liz says in the chat room, no more college fees for Jeff. I think that is correct. I think that uh, very close to the end of that, Liz. Thank you very much. So a pay raise in itself, effectively. Okay, well, that is it. We're all caught up. And uh, now it would be nice to kind of acknowledge those fantastic people that support us and our community financially. And we do that by having the Jeff Smith sing the Java Jive. Johnny, how much more coffee? No, thanks. I'll join him. I love coffee. I love tea. I love the JPG community, coffee and tea, and the Java and me. A cup, a cup, a cup, a cup, a cup. Thank you, Jeff. So, the Coffee Fund. As I mentioned, you're a way to support the show financially. You have a couple of different ways to do that. One is the Coffee Fund Classic Method via PayPal. You can make a one-time contribution or a recurring donation through PayPal. And since the last episode, we have... Mazus Karim, a very nice, generous contribution. Um, recurring payments from Terry Liu and David Lieb and Chris Randall. And also a donation from Randy Ward. So thank you guys for your kind and generous donations to the Coffee Fund. The other way to do it is to become a patron of the show via Patreon. Patreon.com slash guy where you can pledge a certain amount per episode. We have a couple different tiers. Uh, new producer uh, since the last episode, Claudio Caccini, and a new assistant senior executive producer, the uh, one of the higher tiers, David Russell. So thank you, David, Claudio, for becoming patrons of the show. Again, you can learn more about the Coffee Fund by heading over to airlinepilotguide.com slash coffee. Stand by for news. All right, John Picard uh, sent us an update to an event that happened uh, on an A320 into Sydney, Australia. John Picard is the gentleman, I believe, that was holding our APG or Acme Air logo at the uh, Everest Base Camp, right? Oh, Acme? yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think Nick and I met him at um, 
Duxford. At the uh, Duxford meetup. Yeah. Okay, cool. Is that oh, correct, Nick? That Help is. me out. Help. Nick's. Uh, I'm sorry. Know. I was pouring myself a coffee. <laughs> <laughs> so Just I say, yes, you are correct. Yes, you are correct, <laughs> Steph. Yes. That's good. That's fine. Yes, you're correct. Okay. Um, Liz, Liz says John Luke. Uh, John Luke Picard? Is that uh, Probably. A, a Star <laughs> Trek a Star uh, Trek reference? Yeah, yeah okay. exactly right. Anyway, he says, um, report into an A320 into Sydney, Australia, where the crew inputted the wrong information into the flight control unit, but failed to notice an increase in speed, which overstressed the landing gear and flaps as they performed a go-around. And uh, so there is a uh, ATSB investigation report on this. Um, let's see, while we're approaching runway 34 left, the crew observed that the aircraft was high and selected open descent mode on the flight control unit in order to increase the aircraft's rate of descent manually. During the approach, the flight crew selected the missed approach altitude of 3,000 feet in the altitude window of the flight control unit and inadvertently pulled the altitude selector, which apparently is a no-no, which changed the aircraft's vertical flight mode from open descent to open climb. In response to the mode change, the autothrust system, which was active at the time, increased thrust to climb the aircraft. Observing that the approach was not stable, the captain commanded a go-around. However, a subsequent non-standard go-around procedure, including a lower-than-required pitch attitude, uh -oh, uh, resulted in the aircraft accelerating faster than expected, which saw flap and landing gear speed limitations exceeded. A go-around should immediately be carried out if the approach becomes unstable or the landing runway cannot be identified from minimum descent altitude or missed approach point. The captain took control of the aircraft, climbed to the missed approach altitude, and assumed the pilot flying role for the subsequent approach and landing. The ATSB's safety messages from this investigation include that unexpected events during the approach and landing can substantially increase what is already often a period of high crew workload, Adherence to standard operating procedures and correctly monitoring the aircraft and approach parameters best provides assurance that an approach can be safely completed. The ATSB recommends a go-around should be immediately carried out if the approach becomes unstable or the landing runway cannot be identified. Oh, we just read that. There we go again. Those journalists adding extra paragraphs for no particular reason. Their editors are in the Department of Redundancy Department. Yes, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Um, Nick, so can, can you, were you riding along with these folks and saw the, the accident waiting to, ha or the incident waiting to happen there with the uh, selections that they made in the altitude, um, window and, uh, the various descent modes, et cetera? Yeah. Yeah. These are uh, a few common traps that uh, you can fall into when you're flying the Airbus and because they're common, not many people fall into them because we're, we're well aware of, uh, you know, particular selections that will potentially cause a problem. And the uh, selecting the go-around altitude in the window is a requirement. And once you've engaged the glide slope, you can change the capture altitude in the uh, altitude window to the go-around altitude because that's where you want to capture it. But you just select it. You don't pull. Um, having said that, every other time you want to move to an altitude, you do pull. So this is the one occasion when you try not to do that motor action, that autonomic action that uh, goes with turning the altitude. Um, so, uh, yeah, that, that's a classic 
Uh, and what the guy has done is he's, he's gazed down the glide slope, and when he accidentally pulled on that knob, which uh, basically commands the aircraft now to climb to the altitude he's selected, he disengages his glide slope capture, disengages uh, the approach, and he starts the aircraft climbing up towards the height he's selected, uh, which, when you're probably a bit fast, is a bit of a nightmare. Now, you can get around that, if you're quick, uh, before the aircraft becomes uh, goes too high and, and starts to accelerate too much, because don't forget, not only does it do that, the auto thrust will also set climb power because you've now commanded the aircraft to climb. So you're going to get a lot of power and the aircraft's going to start going up. When you should have very little power, the aircraft should be going down. Um, if you're quick, you can just disengage it, just like they say on, you know, children of the magenta, click, click. Mm -hmm. uh, and you you start hand flying the airplane, pull the throttles back, um, put the nose back down, re-engage approach mode, capture recapture the ILS, restabilize the airplane, and if you want to, once you've got it more or less in the ballpark, you can re-engage the autopilots, and everything will be fine and be it. Um, they didn't do this, which is fine uh, because they were reasonably high. Uh, when they went into open climb mode, they were at 1,800 feet. Now, the stabilized approach criteria for us only needed to be achieved by 1,000 feet. So they've still got some time to sort this little hiccup out. And it's not a serious mistake. It happens a lot. Um, so, And it's, it's easily recoverable. So not good, but uh, they have got lots of energy, and they also got the aircraft configured. So... I think they're a little bit behind the drag curve now because this probably happened unexpectedly. They, uh, they, uh, the aircraft, they allowed the aircraft to accelerate until they uh, hit the flat exceedance speed um, and then decided to go around. Now, when you go around, you're going to now move the throttle to extreme climb power setting to toga. And that's uh, quite an increase in power over the climb power you previously had. So you're already going fast, pretty much at flap at season speed, uh, and now you're going to add more power to get it into toga mode. Well, there is a way around this, which a lot of people uh, uh, brief and our airline uh, requires, is that once you realize you're in the situation where you're safely above the ground, uh, even though you're in a go-around, and you don't need all that power, you immediately, once having engaged the toga mode, pull the throttles back to the climb setting so that you, you get rid of all that extra power. In fact, if you do it neatly, the engines hardly even move in power. Uh, and then you can climb away in a more controlled manner. I, I don't know if they did that, but I suspect Well, and it sounds not. like they didn't yeah. climb as deeply as they, they should did. have. <laughs> anyway, it was kind of a shallow climb after they selected toga. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know why, but. I mean, uh, w when you select Toga, uh, the aircraft commands uh, an angle of climb yeah. that is appropriate for your speed. So it goes, whoa, you're way fast. It'll command a steep climb. If you don't fly that steep climb, the aircraft just going to accelerate even more. And it mm -hmm. sounds like uh, they just allowed that to happen without really realizing what was going on. Now, the flaps will save themselves to a certain degree. So in some settings, they will... Uh, retract themselves uh, automatically to save from being damaged, but not in every setting. So eventually you will overspeed them, and certainly you can overspeed the gear. 
Uh, it's quite interesting that if you get the gear to a high speed, it's probably better just to leave it down and throttle back and get the speed under control because uh, one thing you can don't want to do is to try and raise the gear if you've oversped it, if you can possibly avoid it, because uh, you might have damaged uh, the doors and uh, possibly uh, you know damaged some hydraulic pipes because they're quite vulnerable. That's one of the reasons we have a speed limit for the gear. Uh, and if you've done that, you don't really want to risk raising it. If you're already on the approach, just leave the gear down. Yeah, it'll help you slow down anyway. Just spin the airplane around, do another ILS get it on the ground and uh, and then just go and put, put your hand up to the chief pilot and say, ah, I didn't think I did this very well. Start filling but out all be, that paperwork. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> to be fair, we uh, th this was kind of a non-standard height for a go-around. We are very good at practicing go-arounds from minima when we've got right down close to the runway. And for whatever reason, usually the weather, we can't see the runway go-around. Um, so, and that's an easily and well practiced, easily organized, well practiced event. When you do it from an odd altitude, and particularly when it was a really unexpected situation, it's often a bit of shambles, uh, of a shambles. And I've seen it in the sim many times. I've done it myself in the sim and not very well. And it's very easy to end up in this sort of overspeed situation carrying too much energy. Well, I knew you'd be the perfect person to uh, discuss this and. Uh... That was a yeah, and it, it's a bit of a non-event. I mean, he obviously let it get a bit far because overspeeding the gear is probably you know, it's probably quite. <laughs> it sounded like he forgot it. Yeah, <laughs> left it down. Uh, that uh, can also it, happen when you're uh, distracted and your workload has increased exactly significantly, right. and things are this happening not in a non-expected <laughs> yep. uh, fashion or or sequence. Yeah, yeah, exactly right. Uh, so, uh, yeah, I, I feel for him because th this is one of the, and you very rarely practice go-arounds from this kind of intermediate situation. Uh, and they're much harder to fly than the standard go-around by rope for which the aircraft is w well set up. These ones require a little bit of thought uh, before you do them. And actually, to be fair, he had time to uh, think about it. and uh, But it sounds like he sort of went, ah, we're going to go around and and off he went without going, all right, let's get the speed under control. Let's get the airplane organized. It's just level off for a minute. Right, what we're going to do is I'm going to go to Toga and then back again, and we're going to do this and control the speed, select the speed, and then we're going to raise the flaps, and then we'll do the gear whenever. And you kind of do a mini brief, and then you say, right, off we go. Mm -hmm. Because there's no real urgency. Once you've decided it, like, I don't know what height he was, 1,800, 1800 feet. feet. Yeah. yeah. And I think they were over water or very flat land anyway, so there weren't yeah. like obstructions or anything. Nope. nope. You know. There's nothing. There's no real reason to rush. You you do a little uh, stabilized airplane, do a little mini brief, and then set the airplane up into a go around and off you go. And that way it works well. Very good. Very good. Okay. Um, you know... I just realized that um, we have a something special that uh, Miami Hick sent in, and uh, we all love Miami Hick, and he always usually sends in something uh, that's quite clever. And uh, I went ahead and put the lyrics in the the back channel chat if you want to follow oh, along. Excellent. And uh, here we go. So without further ado.
Oh, Miami Hick. That was so, excellent. Uh, we I put the uh, lyrics in the um, the back chat, the crew chat, um, and I tried to put them in the chat room, but I realized that for some reason it wasn't way, letting me it's do way it. Too many, uh, yeah, it's a maximum of two hundred characters. So sorry about that, folks. We'll it's put like the, the first two sentences. <laughs> we'll put the first uh, the lyrics in the uh, show notes if you want to follow along because the piano was a little bit loud at some point, uh, some points, and it was kind of hard to hear all the lyrics, but. So just to give you a little feel for it, um, let's see the one the the ones that I just really really enjoyed. The Thank course. you. Um, yeah, let's see um, about the uh, rusty. Such a rusty jet. Such a rusty jet makes me upset. Makes me upset. <laughs> uh, yeah, welcome aboard the Mad Dog airplane. Such a rusty jet makes me upset. Hardly no room on the Mad Dog airplane. No matter. No matter your fear, you can find it here. <laughs> I love the bit about the engines one. Yeah, that was the next best yeah. one. So I called up the captain. Why do those engines whine? He said, well, they were built in 1929. <laughs> and still those voices are calling from far away. Wake you up in the middle of the flight just to hear them say, Welcome aboard the Mad Dog Airplane. Anyway. <laughs> Um, that's brilliant. Yeah. Like, I just, I just creased up through that. I, I wish I could have uh, just laughed out loud and everyone would have heard, but I was having a good old giggle here. That was brilliant. Liz and I were very impressed by whoever was singing. Yeah. Voice. I don't know who he uh, got to, yeah. uh, to do that for him, but, uh, anyway, he must know some very nice people who, uh, very talented do that. People, and, yes. but, uh, who came up with the dicks? So that was, uh, Rick came up with, uh, all the lyrics because yeah. they're brilliant. I think they're yeah. really good. Brent Brent wrote the lyrics, and I think it's like one of those things where you can like, uh, like what is it called, Fiverr or whatever. There are like services oh, yeah. on the yeah. on the internet that you can uh, hire somebody to do something like this, and uh, you know you agree to a price, and and then they they do it and they send you the product. Yeah, wow, I think it's fantastic. Really? Yeah, very good. Yeah. Thank you, uh, thank you, Miami Hick, that for that. Was, that's I made my day. That has. <laughs> All right. All right. I'm going to stick through the uh, the next one here, and then I have to say okay. farewell for the evening. All right. Uh, Steph, would you like to read this one? I would love to read this one. Okay. Uh, this is from foxnews.com, and it says, world-famous chef detained at LAX with 40 frozen piranhas in his bag. Doesn't everybody have? I mean, standard luggage. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, chef... Uh, Oh, how do you pronounce his name? Virgilio. 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 Ah. Virgilio. Nice. Martinez. Mm -hmm. Wow. Uh, may want to leave his predatory fish at home next time. The world famous Peruvian chef, yeah, Virgilio, who was featured in Netflix Netflix's Chef's Table series, landed at Los Angeles International Airport last week with 40 vacuum sealed frozen piranhas in his duffel bag. Martinez told the Los Angeles Times he was hoping to serve the fish, known for its sharp teeth and menacing look at the L.A. Food Festival. I was extremely obsessed about bringing piranhas because we serve piranhas in the Amazon at Central, of course. Uh, so I said, guys, why not take a risk and bring the piranhas to L.A.? Martinez said to the Times, referring to his restaurant, Central, in Lima, Peru. However, his risky move got him stopped by customs agents at the airport. Martinez said one of the customs officials asked him what was inside his bag of fish, prompting the chef to make a dry joke. Bones, flesh, 
Martinez said. Yeah, it's just kind of dangerous to make jokes with uh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, not much of a sense of humor usually. <laughs> yeah. Following the joke, Martinez said customs officers took him into a private interrogation room where he was asked more questions about what he intended to do with the piranhas. Customs officials come in, are confirmed to Fox News that the stop was just part of a routine procedure when exotic animals are discovered in passengers' luggage. I took my essential cookbook and said, look, this is what I do want to do with the piranhas. And finally said, oh, wow, go ahead, Martinez said to the Times. After five hours of questioning, Martinez was able Whoa. to leave with his bag full of fish, which he used on a salad later that night. Well, I guess he had to eat them straight away since they'd all defrosted. Yeah, he was five yeah, hours in customs. Yeah. No they, longer frozen piranhas. hope they were able to keep them cool. I'm not sure I'd want to eat those piranhas. Well, I don't even know if I'd want to eat a piranha to begin with. But Well, it's better than a piranha eating you. Yeah, I was just going to say yeah. the same thing. Good point. <laughs> Good point. By the way, I love his name. What is it? Virgigolo. Virgilio. Virgigolo. <laughs> Virgigolo. Terrible. A virgin gigolo. Okay. There you go. Well... Just, a great advert for his restaurant, no doubt. Yes. Mm -hmm. Interesting story. I like Ooh. it. All right. I'm just trying to picture his duffel bag with 40 freeze-dried frozen. I'm wondering how they, how they discovered it. I mean, do you think they had like some kind of a dog that sniffed something unusual yeah, I was like this yeah, smells right. like fish just, smells a yeah. little fishy here yeah, yeah. <laughs> well done Steph you beat me to it <laughs> <laughs> something smells fishy well so, speaking of something smelling fishy let me uh, find it here yes from somewhere in Florida <laughs> he has uh, let's see, I don't have my cheat sheet here. He's a, a pontoon boat skipper, a motorcycle rider, barbecue master, master. and so much more. It and is a rescuer of friends. Yes. Captain <laughs> Dana. Hey guys, how are you? Great. Hi. How, how are, are you? you? Uh, I am exhausted. <laughs> I, can I was out in the heat and the side of I-75 just north of the Florida Turnpike for two and a half hours and that really hot son trying to help my buddy out and uh went over to lowe's first grabbed a pair of uh, wire cutters because his tire was locked on his uh, trailer his spare tire um so you know with, with a uh, uh, a pretty thin steel cable you know like a bike bike type of cable that you lock up a bike with uh, and uh, we got there. I snapped that off for him, no problem. However, despite uh, all of our best efforts, we couldn't get the spare tire off the mount because the the lug bolts were all seized. Mm. So Rusted. we worked, worked, and worked. So that's the reason why I'm so late. Ah, no and, problem. Uh, no, that's going to work out just fine because I have to. Uh, I was just about to say my goodbyes for the evening, so we'll do a little swap here. Doing a tag team here. So mm -hmm. he's tagging you, Steph. Tag. You're Tag. out. Tag. <laughs> well, thanks for joining us, Steph. And, yes, my uh, apologies. I can't stay for the uh, the rest of the show. It looks like a great lineup of more news and feedback. And wonderful plain tales, which I actually have listened to in advance for once. So oh, wow. Stay tuned for that. Lovely to see you, Steph. And uh, have a great evening. Thank you. And I'm sure I will see you all very soon next week. Okay. My best to okay. your Bye. family. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Bye-bye. All right.
Uh, so, Danny, you haven't been doing a lot of flying. You're, you're kind of on vacation, I guess. Yep, I have absolutely nothing to update on in, on anything aviation related. Okay. Uh, so it's uh, it's been fun. I'm in the villages down here in the central part of Florida, visiting with some friends. Uh, we're going to a Memorial Day weekend uh, boat, almost like a boat rally. A uh, bunch of power boaters that we hang out with uh, that are going to be down on the St. John's River going to a uh, very secluded, I think it's Glen Springs or something somewhere, um, to hang out for the weekend. So that's why I'm down here in Florida. Uh, my next door neighbor, Calvin and Judy, who you, you've met, um, Nick, you've met him. That's my buddy from England. And that's really all that's been going on. I flew a four-day last week. I haven't put anything for those folks that have been looking for my schedule. I haven't put anything out there. It's a good thing I didn't because the four day I did fly, um, uh, I changed it as I talked about last week. So uh, just enjoying life a little bit this week. Excellent. Well, we're glad that you were able to join us. Uh, yeah. Right now, we're kind of in the middle of the uh, news folder. And so if that's all right with you, we'll go ahead and just continue that. Sounds like a plan to me. Sorry to butt in so late. Hey, no, no, and, uh, no problem. No problem. I just oh, want to see you. try to get as much done Likewise. as we can. I, I do want to comment on one thing. I love what's hanging behind you, Nick. That is an amazing tribute to you, sir. Isn't it lovely? Uh, it and is you, so of course, I, I thanked everyone else you went on, but uh, thanks very much indeed for your contribution to the cost of that. And it's just the most beautiful, handmade, and very special item. I will treasure it forever. Yeah, it's amazing. Don't look now, but I think it just fell off the wall. It did. <laughs> it did. I saw it. <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> For those oh, of you who wanted to contribute, uh, <laughs> co contribution window is now open. Yeah. We're just kidding, of course. All right. Uh, item C. Uh, pilot falls unconscious. For This is from uh, ABC News Australia. Uh, Christian Base sent us uh, the idea via the APG Slack news channel. Uh, pilot falls unconscious for 40 minutes over Adelaide airspace in a light plane. Um, let's see, the Australian Transport Safety Bureau, the second one in today's news folder, it's kind of Australia-focused, uh, has released its report into the serious incident which happened in March and involved an aircraft from flight school tr flight training Adelaide. The pilot, who had not eaten breakfast, fell unconscious about 40 minutes into the flight and remained unconscious for another 40 minutes. The pilot began to feel a headache in his forehead and engaged the autopilot. Prior to the flight, he had suffered from a restless night of sleep and was recovering from a mild cold. Flight YTR left Port Augusta for Adelaide's Parafield Airport on the morning of March 9th. The Diamond DA-40 aircraft entered Adelaide's controlled airspace without clearance about 11 o'clock. The route, logged by FlightAware, extended south across the Gulf St. Vincent before heading north, with the plane eventually landing at Parafield Airport. The report does not make it clear if the man fainted or fell asleep, but said the pilot infringed Adelaide Airport's airspace. Uh, air, according to the uh, air traffic controllers, they attempted contact uh, numerous times unsuccessfully. The crew of a Diamond DA-42, which was operating in the area, offered their assistance to ATC in identifying and establishing contact with the aircraft. At about 11.15 a.m., the crew made visual contact with the DA-40 
and reported that the pilot had regained consciousness. At this point, the aircraft was over water. Radio contact was subsequently established, and ATC assisted the pilot in returning the aircraft to Parafield whilst under escort by the DA-42. Another Adelaide-based pilot, who did not wish to be named, told the ABC the incident probably ended up grounding some jets at Adelaide Airport. Uh, Air Services Australia confirmed nearby aircraft were cleared from an area 50 kilometers north of Adelaide as a precaution. Uh, Flight Training Adelaide declined to comment on the incident to ABC. The ATSB report said the pilot did not consume any breakfast before leaving Parafield in Port Augusta, where the pilot stopped over before flying back. Uh, During the flight from Parafield to Port Augusta, the pilot only consumed a bottle of Gatorade, some water, and a chocolate bar during the stopover in Port Augusta. Um, Following the incident, Flight Training Adelaide told the ATSB it would implement several safety actions, including requiring students to log their hours of sleep in the previous 24 and 48 hours, and the time of when their last meal was consumed, and the type of meal. The training school also committed to providing better guidance to students regarding sleep patterns and conduct a safety briefing with more emphasis on fatigue management. Now, I don't know about you, but I've, I've gotten up and, you know, without even eating breakfast, uh, this guy had a lot more than I usually eat for breakfast. I I don't know. There seems like uh, more to this than what they're reporting because he did have Gatorade and he had a chocolate bar and something else. Yeah, know. but he also he's suffering from a cold as well. I just wonder yeah. with that. Wonder if he was taking some kind of medication, some some type some type of cold medication yeah. with that as well. And he probably, uh, you know, with eating all that sugar and drinking Gatorade, you know, spiked his sugar and probably had a rapid drop off of the of the sugar. So that could you know obviously com- complicated his. Uh, his situation, you know, you and I, I mean, you know me, I mean, I've, I've been pretty forward and vocal about it. I, I go regularly without, without eating and, and mm-hmm. it actually controls my blood sugar uh, very well, keeps my uh, A1C very low. So, uh, you know, everybody's different. And uh, honestly, I have the most energy when I don't eat. So uh, one could argue that you should be eating, you know, at least three square to six, you know, three to six times a day. And, and in Nick's case, and you know, he has has the you know <clears throat> the need to do so and, and it's everybody's different. So we can't really judge on 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 the you know, fact that this guy didn't eat breakfast. I think it's just a combination of the, the high sugar. I think it's a combination of the you know the cold and, and probably taking medication, probably didn't get you know, as I indicated, didn't get a good night's sleep. Uh and didn't and probably is not used to not eating food. So yeah. I think it's a combination of all of that. Yeah, it's interesting. The Air Force used to warn us uh, against um, eating something with a high sugar content on a reasonably empty stomach just before flying because um, the high sugar content in your bloodstream encourages uh, the production uh, of a lot of insulin to uh, keep your blood sugar levels high. And uh, that insulin doesn't leave your bloodstream straight away. It can... uh, it can get rid of the sugar spike, but then the insulin continues to flow around in your bloodstream and will reduce your sugar level to a, a dangerously low level 
just because it's gone, it's got rid of the spike, but now it's just continuing around and it's continuing to get rid of sugar for much longer than you really wanted. Uh, and this can go from hyperglycemic to hypoglycemic. I think, I hope I've got those the right way around. Uh, low blood sugar, low energy. And if you've already had a bad night and got a few, uh, uh, symptoms from a, a an old cold, then uh, yeah, you're going to feel pretty uh, unwell at that point. So it was a big thing for us. Uh, we were, you know, had to keep a very close eye on what we ate and how well we slept. Although I have to say, being a young man, we ignored most of that <laughs> advice <laughs> most of the time. Yeah, uh, but there you go. Uh, that I suspect something like that happened here. I think you're right. Yeah. Um, the best part of this. My Australian brother, Ben, Ben Nielsen, is the one that wrote this story oh, for uh, ABCnews.au. You had a convict in the family. Yeah. Well, it makes sense, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> nice one. Yeah, but I mean, we, we haven't made a point of how bloody dangerous it was, though, because the guy's unconscious and he's plowing out to sea. Um, you know, this could actually have been quite a tragedy if he hadn't got the autopilot in. And if he hadn't woken up when he did, this uh, could have meant his death. So, uh, yeah. yeah, that's the serious side of this. That is true. But we don't like to dwell on the serious side of things on this no. show. No. Uh, although yeah. this next uh, item is serious. Yes. So much so that my computer is making noises. You probably didn't hear that, though, did you? No. no. Okay. No, no, no. It was on, on this computer that I can hear. Okay. Never mind. Ah, pilots die after crop duster planes collide in midair in Sutter County. Um, this is in Pleasant Grove, California, from KCRA.com, a local affiliate. Uh, two pilots were killed Wednesday after a pair of crop duster planes collided in the midair over a rice field in Sutter County. Authorities said the collision between two single-engine Grumman C or G-164C Ag Cats collided uh, or happened around noon near 3870 Pleasant Grove Road in the Pleasant Grove area, according to the Federal Aviation Administration. A video from Live Copter 3 showed one plane split into pieces on the ground and the other plane in water about 250 feet away. Just to be clear, I don't think there was actually film or video of the actual collision, but uh, the aftermath. Um, a friend of both men said the two pilots were friends. Uh, today is a tough day for everybody because they loved what they did, uh, said Tom Bielby. They wouldn't have it. They wouldn't have it any other way. They died doing what they liked to do. Uh, he said the two men came from a family of flyers. He said both were well-known and respected in the agricultural community. Uh, both of their dads flew airplanes. They started flying airplanes at a young age. It just gets under your skin. I think, uh, like any other job or hobby, it's something you enjoy. Um, so that was kind of a sad story to uh, ag planes, to crop dusters colliding. It is. Dana probably knows a lot more about this than me, but it's one of the most dangerous types of flying you can do. But It's, it's exactly what I was going to say. Yep. Yeah. It, but it's pretty rare that they hit each other, Dana. I mean, you're close to the ground, there's wires, there's all sorts of hazards, but hitting another crop duster, that's pretty rare. Yeah. Isn't it? 
<clears throat> very rare event. Uh, wonder you know, why they're is, the same proximity. They usually they're not, right? They're usually not. You know, in, and they're especially when you're operating out of one airfield, they usually coordinate or you know figure out you know who's doing what, where, when. Um, and very unusual for, for them to be in the, the same general vicinity. I mean, they can be close to each other, but they, they, they're, pretty, they're pretty smart because they, they realize how dangerous it is. Um, so somebody made a mistake. I, I'm going to say it's, you know, I hate to say it because you can't defend people. You know, uh, people are not here to defend themselves, but there's probably some pilot error obviously involved with this as to where, where they should have been at what time. Um, it could be from two separate fields, though. So, you know, it may be, you know, in the general same vicinity, maybe contracting from a different uh, different ag, ag uh, outfit from, you know, different airports. So that's always a possibility. So there's, there's a lot of things. But absolutely, Nick, it is the most dangerous uh, form of, uh, of aviating. And, and not only that, but the chemicals that you're exposed to as well. Um, I grew up with the... Uh, Going to PDK and and um, Leonard Harris was uh, uh, the owner, or not the owner, but the manager of, of a, a very well known flight uh, shop, the pilot shop that I worked for, and I just saw him very recently. Um, and his health has taken a turn for a, a terrible turn for the worse, and he can only point it directly to the the, uh, the exposure to the chemicals that he was around all the time spring. So there, there's that that danger as well. So, you know, low power lines, uh, low flying birds, um, just uh, un, un, unforgiving weather conditions. All those can contribute, and of course, the the obvious possibility of, of running into another airplane. Yeah, yeah. Of course, when you're flying that close to the ground, you look at is not going to be exceptionally good because you've got to concentrate you're only feet above the fields so you're not going to be looking all around all the time so it's harder to spot aircraft and uh, of course they work very long days as well it's you know when they when they want those uh, crops to be uh, dusted treated they want it done in as short a time as possible so you're kind of working pretty long hours as, uh, on top of everything else so yeah and if you just think if you get an engine fader at that sort of height uh, you've got very little you can do because uh, normally, you know, you'd hope you'd be up at a few thousand feet, got time to set yourself up for a force landing. When you're down that low, you've got no time. Yeah, you just hope you have some energy built up to, you know, yeah. do something yeah. with. Exactly. I mean, it's, it's, it's a high, it's a high speed uh, um, process and you're very close to the ground. You know, the only advantage that you have, generally speaking, agricultural spraying is that you are pretty much over open fields, except for, of course, the power lines and all the other hazards and tree lines and everything else. But, yeah, you're, you're a matter of feet above, above the ground. You don't have time to, to, to really make those quick, quick, uh, quick decisions if you lose an engine. So, yeah, That's very dangerous. Right. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Um, next item here. Now, this is a uh, somebody – in my Twitter feed, uh, retweeted this, and I don't recall who it was. I, th I think it may have been um, Craig, uh, First Officer Craig, uh, but it doesn't matter. Um, it's a screenshot of somebody's phone. Uh, they use T-Mobile, um, and uh, they're at 63% battery, in case you're wondering. And they've got two friends waiting to join them. Oh, yeah. Look at that. So, uh, it's a picture yeah, which we'll put in the show notes, and, and it's something that you really do need to take a look at. It's the interior of a 
hotel van uh, after they were involved in a an accident. And the the text here says, I've never seen anyone wear a seatbelt in the hotel van, myself included. This happened on a routine ride to the airport this morning to a mainline American Airlines crew. Everyone suffered career-threatening injuries. Let me read that last sentence again. Everyone suffered career-threatening injuries. So I think the person that was tweeting this is basically what he's trying to, or she is trying to tell us, is that you know, it's really not that difficult to take the effort to put the darn seatbelt on because guess what? Occasionally, your luck may run out and you might be involved in this. And I've mentioned on this show several times that you should always be wearing your seatbelts uh, in a, any kind of vehicle that's moving, if you can, if they have them. And uh, I have covered personally uh, at least twice uh, trips for people that were involved in accidents in hotel vans either going from the hotel to the airport or vice versa and it's not uncommon airbags are all over the place there's a lot of uh uh, you can tell that something horrible happened to the inside of this van and you can see i guess through the windshield uh the other at least one other vehicle involved in this um, accident which was a pickup truck and you can see the airbags um, that have activated in that vehicle as well i think that's a pickup truck anyway that's what it looks like to me but uh anyway i just thought i'd throw that in there folks that if you're uh, i was guilty of that as well jeff of uh being lackadaisical about that uh and yeah uh, and particularly since the captain always tended to sit at the front mm-hmm. uh, there was there wasn't even a soft seat in front there was generally speaking a big mile a metal pole <laughs> yeah to be it's gonna hurt when the, you hit your head with that, that but, but still, I used to uh, not bother to put a seatbelt on. Stupid, I know. I always joke around yeah. with the people saying, uh, so uh, do you feel like when you're in this van that you have like a bubble of safety around you or something? And Or I say to the flight attendants, aren't you the ones that go and like, you know, nag people to put their seatbelts on if they don't have their seatbelts fastened? Yeah. Why don't you have your seatbelt on? <laughs> I don't know. I try not to be that guy, you know, but still. It's, uh, it's nice to have a reminder like this every well, once what, in a while. What, what's the most dangerous part of our job? Yeah, it's yeah. the transportation to from the airport. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, people are always nervous about getting in an airplane and going flying, but when was the last time you had to renew your driver's license? Uh, when you're 18 years old and got it or 16 years old when you got it, you don't have to renew in most states and most places. I don't know. I can't speak for the world, but I can speak for my experience uh, in, in Massachusetts and Georgia that you don't have to, you just renew your license. You don't mm-hmm. have to go take another driver's test. That's no. very, unlike, very unlike our scenario as pilots. We are, uh, you know, in, in our case, every nine months uh, have to go and recertify. And then we also have to have medical certification. Mm-hmm. So there are all these types of uh, variables that are involved when you get into a a hotel van or drive to and from the work that you're, you're, you're being exposed to. And that's the most dangerous part of our job. Yep. That is true. All right. And then finally, our last item in the news folder, and this just happened uh, recently. Thank you to Micah for uh, sending me a link to this. Uh, you know, we talked about on the last episode, that uh, collision of two sightseeing airplanes um, on uh, one of those Alaska cruises uh, that was like one of the side tours or whatever um, expeditions or what do they call whatever they call that. Uh, what do you call that, uh, Dana? When you're on a cruise ship and they do something on the side, 
aside. It's called. It, it, it's called a. Uh, you put me on the spot. If okay. <laughs> what? Well, I know there's a word for it. I just can't think of it. Excursion. Excursion. <clears throat> Excursion. Perfect. Excursion. Yeah. Yes. So uh, one of the companies involved in that uh, midair collision that killed, I believe, nine or something like that, several or at least six, uh, Taquan or Taquan Air uh, was involved in another accident on the uh, on yesterday, Monday, the twentieth, um, and two people died in this incident uh, Monday afternoon after their plane crashed in waters near Metlakatla. A week after another deadly crash in nearby Ketchikan, that's about eight nautical miles away. Um, the uh, the company had um, grounded all their flights for a few days, and then had just resumed flying again on the 17th, I believe. And this was not a um, excursion, but it was uh, a commuter flight. Uh, there was the passenger that they were flying from Ketchikan was commuting to this other uh, location. And they're not sure exactly what happened. They think that eyewitnesses have said that they think this um, accident occurred uh, upon landing. And that's all we know. So um, the funnily, if that's exactly what you suggested, Dana, uh, that they uh, might not have coordinated that landing well. Yeah. Now, yeah. I think the other one, yeah, well, we're not sure yet what the other, the collision, midair collision, I don't know if that was landing or not, but they didn't say uh, one way or another. But this one, um, I think they're more um, certain that that's where the accident occurred. And it was just a single airplane in this case, a, a beaver. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, so this was, but, you know, a little bad timing for this uh, this company, Taquan Air, right? You know, within yeah, a couple week period you have two uh, fatal accidents didn't didn't they say the last week in the, in the article that they were not going to stop flying for a little bit or am yeah I, am i not re- remembering that correctly no they did they actually stopped um for a period of time and then they resumed i don't think they resumed the uh, the tour the tourist excursion kind of flying but they also do the commuting um kind of right. flying and I remember so, there being a lot of flights every every uh, day that they they go up to the uh, outer most rural communities, I guess, and shuttle people back and forth. So I guess yeah, they're probably doing that again. Um, I, t- I take that back. I correct myself here. Uh, the last paragraph says Taquan had suspended scheduled flights on May 14th after the Ketchikan crash, according to its Facebook page, but resumed them along with flight seeing tours and chartered flights on May 17th. Maybe they didn't shut down long enough. No, clearly not. Wow. I'm sure they're going to be going through their safety programs to see what's going on here. Why all of a sudden are we having these incidents? You know, I wonder, Jeff. I mean, this is is me kind of thinking outside the box. I just wonder if this is starting to be a precursor to the level of experience that's out there and what we're losing in the industry um, and the challenges that we're going to be facing going forward with, with the lack of life expertise that we're having. I mean, that's, that's a low paying, relatively low paying job with the, uh, you know, high frequencies and it's going to be challenging um, conditions. 
you know, challenging conditions for, for, for aviators that haven't probably been, I mean, not to say anything bad about Taekwon pilots. I'm sure they have a very, uh, a dedicated group of guys and girls that have been flying for them for a long time, but this might be a pre- precursor to some of the newer talent and people they, they've got coming in. I don't know. But I, I thought the wondering. exact same thing when I was reading this, I'm thinking, is this something we're going to start seeing more and more of, uh, here in the future because of the shortage of pilots, qualified pilots out there? Hmm. Yes. Yeah. So we'll have to uh, kind of keep our eyes and ears open to see if what's, you know, what's going on with that. And if that's the case, I don't know what you do. You know, how do you get experience? You got to you got to go out there and do it. You know, um, that's the only way to training. build experience. Yeah. Training's got to get well, better. You, I guess. you have to have to have better training. And, and you know, this is kind of what is I'm, 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 tr- I'm not really going to go down this road. I'm just going to mention it real quick is, you know, with the. Uh, the 737 max that is one of the driving factors is the cost of training mm-hmm. right so it's a common type rating so the 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 airlines didn't want to pay that extra money because they want to keep their training costs low yeah. so thus that's really it's a double-edged sword you want to keep your training costs low but that's really how you how you keep safety and keep uh, you know people safe and uh, you know your pilots educated is through very good training so that's what they're going to have people in in the training Departments are going to have to really focus in on that the, the the talent coming through doesn't have the level of experience that you and I had, right, or Nick, mm-hmm. uh, coming forward. So they're going to have to spend more time training people. I think that's how we're going to mitigate it. Yeah. We'll have to do something, that's for sure. All right. With that, it's now time for one of the best parts of the show. Your feedback. Captain, incoming message. And the first item in our feedback folder is from Doug. Hi, I recently was on my way home from vacation, and the last leg of the trip was on an American Eagle Embraer. I think it was a 145. We were flying from Dallas to Springfield, Missouri. It was a very stormy night, and once we got near Springfield Airport, we had to circle and wait for the storm cell above the airport to move off, which is a good decision uh, those pilots made. Uh, When we landed, we started sliding to the point of going a little sideways, and some of the young ladies sitting behind me let out a small scream. It seemed like we went quite a ways down the runway before the reverse thrusters were engaged. Uh, I have only flown on two to three dozen flights, but this was a bit scary. My question for the crew is, is it ever okay for a plane to be skidding or sliding? Again, that's from Doug. What What say you? Dana? Um, yeah, no, that's, <laughs> that means the aircraft is out of control. And what we try to do is, uh, you know, some of the things that we can do to mitigate those situations is number one, if it's that heavy, don't land the airplane. Or, you know, if, if the runway is not grooved, um, you have to be very well aware, uh, whether the braking action is going to be affected. Um, <clears throat> There is, you know, certain circumstances where, you know, a little skidding or sliding may occur, and that is, you know, you know, when you're going over the paint on the runway, uh, you can get a little bit of skidding with that. So that or sliding, that is as long as you're in control. Um, the anti-skid braking system sometimes yeah. will give that feeling that you're skidding. Yeah. Um, true. Yeah. So very true. So and that's something that's not um, dangerous. So that's just something that is weird to feel that you don't normally feel. Yeah, and in 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 that's you know the in, the that that can be 
even to us experienced pilots, when that starts happening, you, you know, your radar goes up a little bit. Okay, what's going on? Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah, we're just over a little bit of paint here. Not a big deal. So, uh, you know, one of the contributing factors back in Little Rock was, was you know, the heavy rain and the lack of uh, the, the lack of the arming of the spoilers and the late deployment of, of the, the, the reversers. I think was uh, uh, yeah. I think it was uh, one of the causal factors, but it was more the spoilers and the heavy rain at the airport. So yeah, I mean it, it's not okay um, in most cases, especially if it's heavy rain. Um, however, uh, if it's raining out, it, there is a possibility that you will have some skidding going on. Yeah, Nick, anything to add on that? Not at all. No, it's uh, it's not a very nice thing if you start to skid on the uh, runway. Uh, I'm sure the guys had it under control, but it sometimes feels like the airplane lurches around a little bit, and right. so yeah, it, it probably wasn't very nice. What but, you don't have the uh, advantage of uh, that we do is that we are looking out the front of our airplane and we can see how much runway is remaining. So when we are putting the brakes on and you're starting to feel that pulsing or that skidding and, you know, sliding feel, uh, you uh, know that this is okay because I still have a lot of runway ahead of me. And I do feel like we are slowing down. Uh, But if you're just in the back and you're looking out the window, not really sure exactly how much more runway is remaining, uh, that can be a little uncomfortable. Sure. And in, you know, uh, it's it's you know it. <clears throat> I don't want to put this. All right. So the other I think it was last week I had I had a very similar situation. I was going into a shorter runway, eight thousand ish feet long, uh, into Omaha. I think it was, and it was pretty windy conditions, heavy rain in, in and around the airport. A grooved runway, but you know what I didn't want to do is sit there and try to grease the airplane on. I just brought the airplane down and made sure I had a, a relatively firm landing to break any. Um, any um, hydroplaning on the, on the wheels. We didn't get the, the airplane stopped. And Jeff, you flown with me. I, I I tend not to use the auto brake system, and I decided that night to use the auto brake system to help mitigate and get the airplane stopped. And you know, a few passengers got off the airplane. Well, that was a firm landing. Uh, well, if you knew the situation, yeah, that's, the that's what we needed to do. Yeah. That's what I absolutely had to do. I mean, it's not the longest runway in the world. I'm landing on uh, on, a, on on a runway that's wet and it's windy out there. I want to get the airplane down. And I want to get it stopped. So, um, it, you know, and it's a, it's very much a perception. You know, yeah. what we perceive as a passenger is completely different. What exactly what you said is, is, is the, the people up in the cockpit in control. Yeah. And in, in those situations that you just described, Dana, is like you kind of brief like, OK, this is the deal. We're going to give it one shot for a nice landing and then that's it. We're putting it down because we don't have any room, no margin here to try to grease and uh, grease it on. In fact, that's pr- pretty much the last thing you really want to do when it when you're in a condition like that is to grease it on because all you're doing is encouraging hydroplaning. So, uh, yeah. And you don't want to be hydroplaning, um, unless you have a really, really long runway. Have you ever noticed Jeff? I don't know, Nick, I can throw this at you too, but some of my best landings tend to be on those wet runways because we just don't have the wheels grabbing like you normally do on a dry runway. So you're going to, you're going to tend to have a smooth landing on a wet runway as it is because that's what initially happens. You have a little bit of that hydroplane going on, absorbing some of those horses. Now, if, if you come down and you land doing 500 foot from vertical descent and you hit the runway, you're going to feel it. But, you know, if you smooth out and get it on there smoothly, 
then you know that's uh, that's some of my smoothest landings have always been on a, a somewhat wet runway. It just helps to absorb some of that that friction. Anything to add, Nick? Well, uh, when you throw two hundred tons at a runway, it doesn't do much. It usually just sits there. <laughs> <laughs> really? Okay. Well, I don't really. I, I mean, in a big airplane, I don't. I don't feel these kind of uh, effects that you might get on uh, a slightly smaller right. machine. You know, the, the airplane is not as lively. Yep. You know, it's it's a, you you put it on the runway, it tends to like stay there. You have a lot of mass, and you have those big exactly. tires with on the trucks yep. and all that. A lot of inertia, so yeah. Uh, yeah, you're not you're not going to squirrel around very no. much. So this is this is probably out out of my experience level. Yeah, on the airplanes that Dana and I fly, there's definitely a much more sporty. Um, the weight is yeah. uh, much lighter, and uh, we don't have as many wheels out there to absorb all that kind of stuff. Yeah, it's exactly right. All right. Well, thank you, Doug. I hope that answered your question. Um, Thomas writes in. He says, follow-up to my last feedback. He says, in reference to my last feedback regarding the interactions between the flight deck and crash rescue operations, I wanted to reinforce a point I glazed over slightly in the recording. This is from uh, Thomas Merriman. He sent us a very nice audio recording regarding uh, ARFF and pilots and communications and such. He says, I was recently at a, a local airport talking to the guys from the nearby fire station, which has an ARFF apparatus. And the point was made that since they have no scheduled Part 121 operations, they only have the apparatus because the city and airport agree that they need it. While this field is home to two major flight schools, a host of GA aircraft and corporate jets that include at least two regularly visiting BBJs, which are Boeing business jets, essentially private uh, 737s, there is no regulation on the books to require the airport authority to provide fire rescue capabilities specific to the airport's needs. The point being... If you were to have, uh, if you were to have to make an emergency diversion into a field that does not normally serve as airlines, there is a very good chance <clears throat> that there will not be any apparatus stationed at the field, and what equipment that does arrive may be poorly equipped for the fire suppression and extrication styles that would specifically befall ARFF trained personnel. While I'm sure that this would likely be a non-issue for Captain Nick, given the runway length he would need. It's an interesting tidbit to have in the back of your mind for the guys and gals that operate the smaller mainline and regional airframes. Obviously, the biggest thing is still to get it on the ground, and I wouldn't pass up a field like this in urgent situations. Just thought it might add to the many variables that are discussed in an emergency time decision-making process. Until my next long-winded feedback, keep the appropriate sides skyward and groundward. <laughs> Thomas Merriman, TM. So, um, I believe, now I'm not absolutely positive about this and, and maybe dana uh, knows the correct uh, the right answer to this but we have a list of um, mainline airports that we operate into and out of scheduled service all the time we have another list of airports that qualify as authorized auth um, alternate airports uh, that uh, either are normal mainline airports that we use on a continuing basis or perhaps not maybe we don't go into these airports very often and then we also have a very much smaller list of airports that are considered emergency airports and i believe that every single one of them at acme require a certain minimum level of arff capabilities um, 
Dana, do you know uh, that to be the fact? I don't, I, I don't know whether that's fact or not, but I don't think they'd list any airports in, in our you know, authorized or, you know, used in emergency situation air, airports that wouldn't have some type of ARFF available. Um, yeah, I'll have to look I that up. I should have looked that up before we discussed this on the show. But I, I don't, I don't, I don't know specifically. Yeah, uh, the yeah. answer. I have a very strong feeling that there, there are certain, you know, there are certain requirements the FAA has for Part One Twenty One aircraft, and there's also, you know, uh, subsequent to that or in addition to that, uh, the airlines themselves can can you know list certain uh, requirements for airfields to you know meet certain standards. And I'm pretty sure that Acme is pretty conservative when it comes to these things. And I'm pretty sure that most of these uh, listed alternate and emergency airfields have the, just the basic ARFF, um, as you said, apparatus there uh, if, if it needed to be employed. But, you know, if you're in a situation where <laughs> you're, both engines are flamed out and you need to put it down somewhere, you know, I don't care. I'm not going to take the time to look up whether or not that airport that I see ahead of me that has a runway um, is listed in the uh, authorized, uh, you know, alternate or emergency airfields. I'm just going to put it down. And in that case, you're probably not thinking too much about whether or not you uh, they have, you know, a fire, uh, air, airport, you know, rescue and fire fighting uh, apparatus available there. You just want to get it on the ground because you're in a dire situation. Yeah, I mean, from my point of view, uh, when you're up at cruising height, you're not going to be looking to put an air, the aircraft down in an effort within 50 miles when there's something that's reasonable in 70 miles because just getting the aircraft down that quickly is in itself uh, something of a problem. I mean, normally we'd be starting our descent, say, 100 miles away from our destination airfield. You can obviously bring the aircraft down a little quicker, but eventually it becomes a nightmare because if you try and do everything too quickly, unless you're an absolute dire emergency and you're actually on fire and you have to get it down quickly, in which case all the rules go out of the book, you've got a lot of uh, stuff to cover uh, when you're diverting uh, with an emergency, um, you've still got to be able to brief and carry out a, a reasonable approach. Uh, you've got to have the plates out. You've got to do a quick discussion. Uh, you've got to do a quick landing uh, distance calculation because even if you've got an emergency. You still don't want to make it worse by running off the end of the runway. So the chances are you're not going to try and throw it on an aircraft on an airfield that's underneath you. And I don't know if I mean flying across the states a lot of time. There are a lot of airfields around, uh, and uh, you know you're generally within touching distance of a major international airport. So the need to go into a little airport is usually uh, not there. Good point. Yeah, <clears throat> and. I mean, quite frankly, uh, most airports, especially uh, towered airports, which we have a lot of them in the States, uh, are going to have ARFF uh, available on the field. So uh, most of our airports, Jeff, I mean, uh, not 100% like you, um, but I'm pretty sure that any airports that's listed is going to be able to have ARF available for us on a, on a very rapid basis. Yeah. I'm quickly trying to uh, find the information in the EFB that I have in front of me uh, regarding the uh, airport directory and online and offline airports, um, but I can't haven't seen the uh, the ARFF requirement yet. So I'll continue to research that and see what we can find out. I'm sure that somebody out there listening probably knows the answer. 
Um, but uh, yeah, like Dispatcher Mike. Yeah, I bet he knows. I bet he knows. So anyway, sorry I don't have that answer right in front of me, but it, the point was made that uh, that's something that we should kind of keep in the back of our mind uh, when we select a field as an alternate or an emergency airfield. Uh, but again, the, the point is well made that sometimes you don't have the capacity nor the time to check whether or not it's going to be suitable enough. And if it's a dire emergency, just put it down on the ground and hope for the best. Uh, I would, I would, I would also venture to guess Jeff that in our FMS database, cause I keep the airport selected uh, on my map quite a bit of the time. And I'm always thinking about that. Where am I going if I have an emergency? So hmm. uh, I would venture to guess that all of the airports that are available in the, um, FMS database are probably ARF as well. And also, you know, on, on our EFB, we have the map mode on our uh, on our uh, Jeppesen pages that I also keep up. And, you know, it gives me an idea where I am in reference to all the airports. And, you know, we have the brown airports, red, red brown airports are suitable alternates. And then, of course, the red airports, the emergency airports. So, I, you know, again, I, th- I think all those airports that are displayed are, are going to be uh, suitably uh equipped for our arrival if we need to go there yeah obviously it's not going to display an airport that has a three thousand foot runway an airport that has a three thousand foot runway i can assure you does not not have an arf anything yeah. has a five thousand foot or greater runway probably um has uh relatively if not arf on the field but it, it, they may have uh you know local provisions for right. the local firefighters to be there too all right well Just guessing on that one yeah. Good um, good question, uh, Thomas, and good points being made by you. Good follow-up. Okay, uh, item three. Terry writes, uh, attached is audio feedback on the subject of sleep apnea. Oh, okay. Let's hear what Terry has to say about sleep apnea. <laughs> that was not Terry and his audio recording of him snoring. That is Dana. Okay, stop it. <laughs> stop it. Stop it. Okay. Hello, APG crew. My name is Terry from New Jersey. I'm not a pilot. I'm just a good old-fashioned av geek. My question today is regarding the subject of sleep apnea. In addition to suffering from the APG syndrome, I've recently been diagnosed with a case of severe sleep apnea. My doctor prescribed the use of a CPAP as treatment. I've got to say... Since I've started using the CPAP, my quality of life has improved dramatically. My state of alertness and my ability to stay up past 8 p.m. is a vast improvement on what it used to be. My question is regarding pilots and sleep apnea. Is sleep apnea something that is tested for on a regular basis? Is sleep apnea a disqualifier for a pilot? Is a treated case of sleep apnea something that you can keep your certificate with. Now, I know that my sleep apnea machine tracks my usage and sends information via a cellular data signal to a place that my doctor can access the information. I would assume that compliance in the use of a CPAP machine would be something that a pilot would need to maintain in order to keep his certificate. I appreciate everything you guys do, love the show, and look forward to hearing from you regarding this subject. Thanks. Clear skies and tailwinds. 
Thank you, Terry. Uh, I know that there has been increased emphasis uh, in the last year or two regarding sleep apnea um, as far as medical certification is concerned. I don't know all the exact details. I can tell you that I've never been tested for it. Um, I think uh, maybe, Dana, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe that there was something put out a couple of years ago that said uh, if you have uh, like a neck size uh, greater than a certain measurement or some other kind of body measurement uh, that you should be considered to, to have the potential for apnea. Um, do you recall exactly, Dana, what that was all about? Oh, do I ever? Because I, <laughs> I had a feeling you had I some personal experience. I had to fight that one because I am a big guy. I mean, mm -hmm. I'm a guy of uh, a significant neck size. I've got a t almost a 21-inch neck. Ooh, wow. The FAA came out and said, all right, if you have such and such you know, measurements on your neck, then you have to have sleep apnea. <laughs> Which is I not said, correct. I said, uh, well, I know somebody that snores worse than I do. And I've been in the same room with him before uh, <laughs> talking to me about me <laughs> <laughs> you know in all honesty i mean if you have the symptoms then you need to be tested uh, i've had the uh, i've gone around and around with my uh, my fa medical people regarding that and they said well if you don't have symptoms in which by the way i don't i mean i i am i am fully alert i wake up in the morning fully rested rested um the only time that i think that i may have a touch of it is when I have a, uh, well, this is a Kentucky Vanilla Barrel Cream Ale, which is delicious, by the way. Uh, but if I tend to overconsume or if I'm extremely tired, and my wife tells me I tend to uh, tend to uh, have heavy snoring, but I do not, uh, for the most part, ever wake up uh, fatigued. Now, to answer your question, Terry, uh, on the other end of the spectrum, I have a very good friend of mine. Um, that has had a, a terrible time with sleep apnea with a diagnosis and you know, trying to keep his medical. He was actually out on medical for three years. He had two surgeries, um, and uh, the uh, the CPAP machine was not effective initially for him. So there can be certification ramifications uh, in keeping your medical certificate. Um, and if it's not properly treated, you are required to, uh, or if it's properly treated and you're able to uh, um, obviously get the proper rest, then uh, you are able to uh, continue to have your medical certificate. However, if it's untreatable, then you would indeed lose your medical certificate because it's it does affect your safety and your ability to operate an aircraft because you lose your uh you know, you lose your ability to stay awake and be alert to a lot of threats in certain circumstances, obviously making decisions in critical situations as well. So it would infect, in, in, in impact and, and effectively uh, compromise safety. So it is an issue out there. Um, I haven't, uh, haven't as, as Jeff as well, I have not been tested. I do wear my uh, apparatus and at night, my Apple Watch. I had... Uh, Another, uh, I forget what's uh, the Fitbit, um, and then all that stuff monitors my sleep. I actually have a sleep number bed, not that I'm, I'm, I'm po pointing that out, but that actually monitors everything as well. So I have three different sources other than other than my wife and uh, how I feel as to whether I'm, I'm actually getting a good night's sleep, and, and I do. So uh, personally, um, you know, 
fighting the FAA, you know, they can't just put a blanket statement out there. It's kind of like, a, you know, going to the, uh, taking an NFL football player who happens to be about 6'2", solid muscle, and they say that he's obese. Well, they're not obese, they're just solid muscle because they don't fit in the typical profile, as I don't. And uh, if you don't fit in the profile, they want to go ahead and, and point the finger at you. So, um, yeah, it must be something that they, you know, when you go in for your physical, there there must be something that they're looking for when you come in as a patient, uh, whether or not that that's something they even mention as far as, you know, well, do you feel like you're stopping breathing in the middle of the night or do you snore heavily? I mean, I've never had an AME ask me that and I've never had a test for sleep apnea. So I'm not sure exactly what it is that triggers that for your AME to have a test ordered. I think in, in conversation, I mean, if, if you, if you indicate at all that you, you know, you're tired or, you know, they can look at you. I mean, I can look at you all the time and see that you don't have bags over under your eyes. Um, you don't look tired. You don't seem to be tired. You know, oh my God, look at those eyes now. Uh, but no. So, you know, I, I'm sure they're trained to look for certain symptoms and yeah. ask certain questions. Um, but I don't know. You know, if you start looking for things, unfortunately, you're going to find them. Yeah. And I, I'm, I'm the, of the mindset if, well, if I don't have the symptoms, why am I looking for it? Right. I had a great friend of mine in the Australian Air Force who, uh, when he uh, slipped on his back, he stopped breathing and it was so severe that he could die. Mm. Um, so his wife had to sew, uh, I think she sewed pine cones mm. into the back of his, uh, his pajamas <laughs> so that every time he rolled onto his back, these things were sticking to his back and they'd wake up. But I mean, he was, he carried on flying uh, regardless. So obviously it didn't affect his uh, overall sleep. He was just worried about, dying while he was asleep. yeah that's that's a little bit higher priority <laughs> i've heard of uh, people sewing in tennis balls in the in t-shirts uh to keep yeah. you know people from rolling over on their back because uh, you know I'll, i might start sleeping on my side but i almost always when i wake up I, i'm on my back so my body is trying to you know to, to get to where it is comfortable i guess that uh yeah exactly uh yeah so it is an important um, thing that uh, if, if people are suffering from it, uh, it, it definitely could be um, career-ending and it could be life-ending as well. So uh, if uh, anybody out there suspects that they might have it, then go for the test and do what you can. I, as far as being a disqualifying thing, I think I'm pretty sure that there are pilots, airline pilots out there that have been diagnosed with sleep apnea, but have been given the CPAP machines. And as long as they're using them, they're, they're allowed to continue to fly. Right. I think that's, yeah, well, it's, yeah, it's Terry, Terry touched upon it. And that is that there's an automatic reporting or a reporting function. Mm -hmm. And my buddy that actually has the machine and uses it has to use it. Um, I forget what percentage it is, but it's, it's pretty high up there. I think it's 90, 95% of the time and it has to report as such. So mm -hmm. it, it knows whether it's reporting, um, and the, it has to go to the FAA for, for approval and, and, uh, medical certification, uh, uh validation. So yeah, and I'm me. just uh, <clears throat> curious, and is it something he can carry down route with him and it yeah. works with a battery or something? 
Uh, no, it's actually a small, it's, they've come a long way with them, apparently, and they're very small units that you can pack inside your rollerboard, and you plug it in, and it's, it's you know, able to help you, you know. I'm overnight. just wondering how the long-haul guys who uh, are, you know, would like to sleep in crew rest, um, you know, during a very long flight, how they cope if they've got a CPAP. I guess they might be excluded from that style of flying. So, Nick, um, in my research for a <laughs> battery um, for powering things like CPAP machines or per perhaps um, laptops and digital audio recorders, um, I, uh, one of the things that uh, many people apparently are using these things for is specifically that people that have CPAP machines and they go on a camping trip or something like that where they're not going to have electricity available. And they use right. these. Uh, and a lot of these things are rated. They actually say this is how long it can run with a typical CPAP, um, depending on the, I guess, there are different variables as far as, you know, what what the thing's set for. And I don't know all the details, but apparently that that's one of those things that people buy these things for. So Interesting. Yeah. Well, I guess they could use them on board if they wanted to. I would well, imagine. but then... You, you get into the conversation about having a uh, lithium-ion battery yeah. that size on board the aircraft. And, of course, in the crew rest facilities, I'm pretty sure they have some type of plug yeah. that they could uh, plug in the CPAP. It's just a regular good old-fashioned um, plug. I don't, I don't know the answer because I never flew in a national naked in the crew rest facility. Well, you don't. We had, have. Uh, we had a small plug, but it was only for razors if you try yeah. to plug anything with drew any decent amperage it wouldn't do it would it. bring the airplane down basically yeah being attracted by my big light here so uh oh okay we kind of uh, we, we kind of missed what you were saying there you're kind of breaking up or at least you are to me that's right that was a mosquito sorry i was a oh, bit no. distracted this mosquito flying around in front of my eyes and Focus, Nick, focus. I'm doing my best. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, you know what? You know what time it is? It's time for the best part of the show, which is this week's installment of the Old Pilot's Plane Tales. I counted them all out. The Old Pilot's Plane Tales. I counted them all out. The Falkland Islands are about 300 miles east of the coast of Patagonia and 750 miles north of the Antarctic. They're a small self-governing territory but protected by the British government and as such referred to as a British overseas territory. The small group of remote islands have variously been occupied by French, Spanish, British and Argentine settlements but after laying claim to them initially in 1690, the British re-established rule in 1774 and then again in 1832. By 1840, the islands had been declared a crown colony and a permanent pastoral community of Scottish settlers were established there. The islands continued to be overseen by the British government, but the Argentines disputed ownership and had long wanted to claim this tiny patch of land for themselves. President Juan Perón claimed sovereignty in the 1960s 
and the United Nations asked both countries to reach a peaceful settlement on the ownership issue. Whilst the British government quietly conducted behind-the-scenes negotiations and encouraged closer trade ties with Argentina, the Falkland Islanders themselves strongly lobbied the UK Parliament to remain British. Talks between the countries continued through the 70s and into the 80s, but then, unexpectedly, following a period of devastating economic stagnation, and large-scale civil unrest against the ruling military junta, on Friday the 2nd of April 1982, the Argentine military invaded the islands. The small British military force that were established on the main island at Port Stanley were soon overwhelmed, and for the first time since the Second World War, hostile foreign troops forcefully occupied British sovereign territory, marching through the streets of Stanley and subjugating British citizens. Following earlier intelligence reports, the UK had already dispatched two Swiftsure-class nuclear submarines to the area to establish a naval presence, and very quickly a 200-mile exclusion zone was created around the islands. At one point, HMS Splendid shadowed the Argentinian aircraft carrier Ventisinco de Mayo, ironically a ship that had previously served with the Royal Navy, and would have engaged her had the captain been able to accurately confirm his position. However, although she presented a grave threat to the British task force, which had by now arrived at the islands, Following the sinking of the Argentinian cruiser General Belgrano, the aircraft carrier returned to port and did not sail again. It had taken the British task force four weeks to sail the 8,000 miles to the Falklands, and amongst the fleet were two aircraft carriers, the Invincible and the Hermes. The Hermes was the old lady of the Royal Navy, having been first commissioned in 1959 and sailed many millions of miles since. She wasn't a large carrier, but she successfully flew supermarine scimitars and de Havilland sea vixens off her decks, but she was unable to cope with the next generation of jets, the Phantom and Buccaneer, so had been fitted out as a commando carrier for Royal Marine operations. When the Royal Navy equipped with the Sea Harrier, she was fitted with a ski jump launch deck, and after sailing for the Falklands, she embarked 16 Sea Harriers, 10 RAF Harrier GR3s, and 10 Seeking helicopters, and she served as the flagship of the British forces. During the voyage out to the islands, many on board thought that Hermes would be a big enough stick to threaten the invading forces and thought that the Argentinians would simply give up their illegal occupation. However, as they pressed south and the temperatures dropped, the mood gradually changed. Amongst the small group of Harrier pilots was Dave Morgan. He would become a captain with Virgin Atlantic, but then he was an RAF flight lieutenant. Only a month or two earlier, he had been detached from the RAF to work with the Navy flying sea harriers. 
Only part of the way through his conversion course, when the conflict broke out, he was told that anyone who could fly an aircraft was going, and they needed him to embark his Harrier onto Hermes on Sunday. It was to be his very first deck landing, and they sailed the next day. During the journey, the pilots set about their daily routine of planning and practicing the live missions that they would have to perform for real, air-to-air combat, ship attacks, and they dropped an example of every live weapon that Hermes carried. In the South Atlantic, it was autumn, and storms were gathering. But despite being outnumbered 10 to 1 by the Argentinian aircraft, they were confident of being able to give a good account of themselves. They received their final mission briefings, memorized their escape and evasion instructions, and were issued with a personal Browning 9mm automatic pistol. In the quiet times, many wrote last letters to wives and loved ones in case they didn't return home, and then it was back into the comforting routine of preparing to fly. Sitting in his cockpit, Dave China graphed a few marks on the head-up display in case he lost his display data, some from a normal flying position and a few from a crouching position, where he expected to be when under fire. As he planned their first assault on Stanley Airfield, Dave was aware that it was essential that everyone needed to carry out their individual roles as perfectly as possible. All prepared, it was at 6.40am when the ship's broadcast system bellowed out, Now hear this, stand clear of jet pipes and intakes, start sea harriers. Dave held up five fingers to his plane captain, one for each ejector seat pin, and then wound up his Rolls-Royce Pegasus and ran through his checks. Twelve sets of anti-collision lights were flashing, indicating that all the harriers in this wave were serviceable and ready. A quick glance at the map whilst the carrier turned into wind and then with the green light on the flight deck officer dropped his green flag and the first Harrier screamed down the deck. Dave immediately taxied into position and with a nod slammed the throttle full forward. Ten tons of thrust powered him down the deck and up the ramp and he flicked the nozzles down to support the weight of the aircraft as at 17 knots he was well below the stall speed. As the fighter accelerated he rotated the nozzles aft and within a few seconds he had his wheels up and was already cutting the corner to join up with his leader. Every five seconds another Harrier powered off the ramp until the whole formation was airborne and heading for the planned landfall at McBride Head. Scouring the sky, Dave spotted a couple of dark shapes hugging the sea. Break port, bogies, left ten low. Everyone heaved their jets into a screaming left turn, but the shapes turned into two more Harriers on their way to attack the grass airfield at Goose Green. As the coast loomed up in the early morning light, it looked like the craggy shoreline of Scotland, where Dave had done so much of his training. Down the coast, they soon hit their initial point, only 90 seconds from the airfield. 
By now, in three sections, four aircraft were pulling up to toss 1,000-pound bombs onto air defence weapon sites. Three others were setting up to attack from the northwest. Andy Ald led Dave's three ship to the east side of a pair of 900-foot hills north of Stanley. Creaming along at 500 knots, Dave could see the grass tussocks whipping past his aircraft and as they came around the hill, their target came into view. The entire peninsula that held the airfield seemed to be alive with explosions. Anti-aircraft shells carpeted the sky over the runway so thick they seemed to present an unpenetrable wall. The fiery tails of missiles smoked across the sky and long wavering lines of tracer crisscrossed but then began to weave his way, churning up the sea all around. There was a moment of horror when the realisation that this wasn't a game anymore came to him. But then it all became business as his years of training took hold. He hauled the Harrier left and right between the islands and rocks automatically dropping down even further. Still accelerating, he was suddenly aware of soldiers firing from the tops of sand dunes above him. Dave flicked up the trigger switch to squeeze off some 30mm cannon shells, but instead of the expected roar of his Aiden guns, nothing happened. It was only later he realised that he'd left the gun's master switch off. Instead, he flattened the defenders with his jet watch as he pitched the Harrier to climb to 150 feet, the minimum drop height for his weapons. Ahead of him, he could see smoking hangars and aircraft lolling drunkenly, badly damaged from the first attacker's run-through. The fuel dump was a storm of orange flame and huge lumps of debris were still falling from the grey sky. He quickly lined up on a seemingly undamaged little island of transport aircraft, raised the safety catch and mashed the bomb release button. The weapons came off in turn, and after a short delay, each blew off the bomb casings to expose the 147 bomblets which were ejected to form a cloud of death that could cover a football field. Holding his aircraft level whilst the weapons released, he was suddenly rocked by a huge explosion, and his Harrier began to vibrate like a road drill. It became impossible to read any instruments, but he still seemed to be flying, so he dove for the ground, going past the tower windows that were only 20 feet up and straight into a cloud of black smoke. He paused for a second or two and then turned hard east to clear the high ground and run out to sea. Punching back into the clear air, his radar warning receiver screeched the bad news that a radar-laid anti-aircraft gun had locked him up. Despite the damage he'd suffered, it was no time to be gentle, so Dave flew a bone-crunching 6G brake and then flicked out his air brakes, inside of which had been secreted packets of aluminium chaff. The Sea Harrier didn't have an integral chaff and flares system, so this was the best that could be devised. The chaff decoyed the radar, and the danger fell behind as he ran out to sea. 
clear of the target area and safe, they climbed and checked in on the radio. It was expected that they might lose two or three aircraft in the raid because of the intensity of ground defences, but Dave felt a huge wave of relief and elation flow through him as everyone checked in, all were safe. As he slowed for the transit back to the ship, the vibration reduced and now able to read his instruments, he realised that only one gauge didn't work, his rudder trim indicator. Back overhead Hermes, he got a visual inspection from another aircraft, which revealed, to quote, a bloody great hole in his tail. The aircraft seemed to be flying okay, but it was possible that the reaction jets that control the Harrier in the hover were damaged. So Dave hung back until everyone else had landed and then flew a rolling landing, running onto the deck with quite a bit of forward speed. It wasn't an approved manoeuvre since there was no hook and wire system to stop the fighter from rolling off the far end of the deck. Setting up from a mile away, he dropped his gear and flaps and approached straight in. He got his speed back to 50 knots and the aircraft remained controllable, but as he got closer, he saw more and more faces appearing around the deck wanting to get a closer look. Landing about 50 feet in, he safely braked to a halt before taxiing clear and parking at the base of the ski jump. Chains were hooked on to lash the fighter safely down and Dave could safely shut down and make his seat safe. Opening the cockpit, he felt the bitingly cold wind and realised that despite the temperature, he was sweating profusely. The adrenaline rush he had been through made it difficult to unstrap and stand up before he could climb down and walk unsteadily to join the crowd that had formed around the tail of his aircraft. On the wind-swept and slippery deck, Dave Morgan gazed up at his fin. A 20mm anti-aircraft shell had punched a 6-inch hole through the fin and then exploded, causing considerable damage to both the fin and the tailplane. Looking at the angle of entry, it was clear that the shell had come from nearly head-on and had come very close to taking out the cockpit. They had all got back safely from this first attack on the Argentinian forces, and everyone had been blooded. A total of 12 Harriers had delivered 36 bombs against two heavily defended airfields, destroying a large number of enemy aircraft, fuel dumps and buildings, and escaped almost completely unscathed. That evening, Brian Hanrahan, the BBC reporter who was embedded on board Hermes, reported back to the country. He wasn't allowed to say how many aircraft had taken part in the raid, so whilst we were crowded around our TV sets trying to find out what was happening to our territory some 8,000 miles away, we heard the now famous phrase that he used. How many planes joined the raid? 
But I counted them all out, and I counted them all back. Their pilots were unhurt, cheerful, and jubilant, giving thumbs up signs. Wow. <laughs> that was a great story. Yeah, thanks, Jeff. Uh, yeah. Dave, well, very high production values on that one, Nick. Very oh, nice. Very kind. Dave's uh, quite a, um, a, an admired figure in the UK. He was, of course, the last uh, RAF pilot to actually uh, engage and shoot down a fighter. And I hope I'll get to tell that part of the tale um, in the future. Um, but uh, w since then, the RAF has not actually been in a, a dogfight. Uh, and that was the Falklands was quite a long time ago, 82. Yeah. So, you know, we've managed to um, keep out of most of the conflicts where we needed to do that sort of stuff. Um, but, uh, yeah, he's uh, he won uh, quite a few medals, obviously. And he did, um, he did some very brave things while he was there. So I'm looking forward to uh, recounting some more of his career. And uh, I've also... Uh, on the recommendation of a friend, I've gone out and bought uh, a uh, a book about uh, the uh, pilots in, I think it's, hang on a minute. Will you excuse me for one second? You can always edit this out. Hang on. Sure. <laughs> yeah, I, have to, I do have to say, uh, while I was driving down here to Florida, um, I re-listened to a lot of Nick's plane tales and you know, a couple of the podcasts, uh, um, posing bases, and of course, um, um, oh my God, I'm having a brain fart. Mike's podcast, Flying and Life, Flying and Life. Yeah, I listened to several of his episodes, but I'll tell you what, re-listening to these plane tales is amazing. Well, that's very kind. I appreciate that, Dana. I've got a book here called. Uh, Vietnam to Western Airlines, uh, and it's an oral history of the air war uh, in Vietnam, uh, um, made written by a, a guy who worked for Western uh, and really includes the stories of the pilots that have flown in Vietnam and then joined that airline. Uh, and um, I'm looking forward to dipping into this and finding some suitable stories from uh, an American point of view. Oh, that'd be nice. Yeah. Uh, we, do you have a picture of the um, the fin of the Harrier? Uh, I don't. I do, however, uh, have seen a picture of um, Dave Morgan. Now, he uh, subsequently met up with uh, the families and, in some cases, the pilots. Uh, well, actually, I think I haven't really researched this very well, mm -hmm. but certainly with the families of... Um, those pilots he shot down and in some cases killed mm. uh, and uh, a very amicable um, relationship has formed uh, as sometimes happens after a conflict. After all, it's, there's, it's dreadful to say there's nothing personal between uh, combatants in a war. You're doing a job of work and as dreadful as it may seem, your job involves defending your country, if necessary, giving your life or taking life. Um, and uh, he's managed to make his peace with the families of those pilots who he killed, uh, which I think is a remarkable feat. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, so, um, yeah, uh, he, he's very interesting bloke, uh, David, uh, David Morgan. So, uh, well, yeah, I'll look for I was going to say that um, one of the uh, advantages, uh, I know you're, dear listener, listening to these fantastic plain tales on the APG show. There is a separate feed with uh, individual plain tales if you want to subscribe to that. And uh, that's uh, information on that is available on the website. And the other nice thing about going to the website and actually looking at each of the individual plain tales episodes is the fact that Nick puts in all kinds of photos and other extra information there. And I was hoping that there would be a picture of that, uh, that tail well, fan there. Uh, when he visited and when these folks visited him, there was a press photographer there mm-hmm. who, uh, and they took a picture of that piece of his fin, mm-hmm. which they, the Navy cut out of the aircraft, uh, to repair it. And they presented him with the framed piece of, uh, oh of skin with that damn great hole in it wow and you could just put your fist through it no problem at all hmm. and in that uh, in an airplane like the harrier which is very tight uh and these systems are so closely packed it's a miracle that a, a, a 20 millimeter cannon shell through any part of the airframe would not significantly uh, damage it mm-hmm. uh he you know he was a very lucky man yeah uh, that day wow well, thanks again, Nick, for all the hard work you put into these uh, plane tales. We all of us appreciate it. Yeah, it's it's absolutely uh, amazing. Well, I, I love doing it, so thanks very much. But uh, uh, even if you hated them, I wouldn't stop. Well, I hate well, them actually. I, I, yeah, I despise them. <laughs> yeah, terrible. Too, too bad. <laughs> so Dana, that's, that's why I spent I spent six I spent six and a half hours in the car listening to him. You know, so he only oh, had to spend three, but he just ran around in circles. Yeah, yeah, you're exactly. Yeah, nice nice. Doing circles. Well, nice I wanted to get, I wanted to get flying the life in, and I wanted to get uh, uh, opposing bases in. So I just want to make sure I got, uh, you know, my full gamut while I was driving <laughs> down here. But Good uh, for you. It, it's it's so nice, to, you know, without the distraction of of being on the show and just kind of listening and re, you know, of course I'm now listening to them the second time. It, it's just amazing the amount of work you put in and and how awesome. It really is is really great part of this show. Okay, that's enough I, patting I, him on the back. He's going to get way yeah. too big of a head, and we yeah, can't yeah, have that. I, I'm, oh, I'm, that's okay. That's all right. He's British already, so we already know he's already going to get a big head. <laughs> <laughs> so, Dana, yeah. a little bird tells me that uh, you might uh, have to leave us. Yeah, well, the disadvantage, disadvantage of being here in the villages is that everything shuts down by 9 p.m., and it's now quarter past, almost, well, 10 past 7 and it's about a 20-ish minute ride by car to where we're going to go for dinner. So I, I really do have to, unfortunately, sign off so that we can actually eat this evening. If okay. not, we'll be like famished little children running around with uh, empty stomachs and full of beer. So we don't want that. <clears throat> but, uh, no, so thank you very, very much for having me on for this short amount of time. I hope it was an you know, educational and uh, fun experience. It was, it was fun for me. and. And uh, great to see you guys. All right. Could Get out of here. Cleaning his teeth, Dana. <laughs> it was, What's that? That was a, a uh, cleaning his teeth. That was a vape, a vape pen or something, I think he was. Uh, okay. <laughs> yeah. I think I saw some yeah. smoke or vapor hey, come out of it. Lovely to see you. Lovely to see you, Dana. Thanks. Yeah, Let's see you. you know, we'll talk about next week. I'm uh, off all next week. So whatever works for you guys. All right. All right. Take care, Dana. Talk to you. Bye-bye.
Okay, moving on. We only have uh, about a half an hour, a little less than that remaining. All this done. Let's knock this thing out. Uh, Glaucus uh, writes in. He says, I hope you are all well. I must confess I'm a bit behind on my episodes due to a change in working arrangements, but I'll catch up as fast as I can. See the enclosed uh, news on the Aeroflot incident in Moscow just yesterday. Okay, yeah, this feedback's a little bit old. Um, but uh, he's talking about the uh, the Super 100 or 95-100 or whatever um, at the, the Moscow airport and uh, the crash, the fiery crash, and the 41 lives claimed. He says, what infuriates me is the number of passengers carrying their luggage from the wreckage of the plane in flames, a plane where at least 41 lives were claimed uh, their luggage these people should be charged with attempted murder or something similar as the, uh, they were not or as if they were not as selfish and followed the international protocol of leaving their luggage behind more people could have been saved i could say more but i'll restrain myself to just me- just mention that most faces were caught in camera and could be easily identified and charged our hearts and prayers go to those whose lives were lost on this terrible incident there are a few things more serious and scary than having fire in the cabin during flight. On a lighter note, I'd like to thank two of our fellow APGers, Glenn Towler and Ray Davies, for their presence at the Wings Over Illawarra Air Show, which took place in Sydney this last weekend. Again, this is a few weeks ago. Good pronunciation. Thank you. I was, I was, I was a little uh, not sure about it, but I thought I'm just going to go for it. I'm going to say it confidently, oh, like I know what I'm talking about. Uh, it was great to put some faces in names, and I look forward to more catch-ups in the near future. All the best, Glaucus, or G-Man. I'm glad that they got a chance to uh, get together and you got to meet Glenn and Ray. Great, great blokes. Absolutely. Yeah, we've got quite a strong uh, New Zealand and Australian contingent over there in Australasia. Uh, and uh, uh, there's some great guys amongst them, that's for sure. We absolutely do. You're right. All right, uh, six, Christian sent us some audio feedback. Hi, crew. Christian Bass here in Richmond Hill, Ontario, right near Toronto. Uh, Just had a giggle when I was reviewing APG 372, and you guys were wrapping up your response to Amar's question about the number of times you abort a takeoff uh, in a year, or as in Captain Nick said, um, in a career. And... uh, Captain Jeff missed an opportunity to use a certain soundbite as Captain Nick was finishing up, and I think Dr. Steph noticed. Um, But uh, I'll insert it for you here. And, you know, we just dribbled to a halt in a very unsatisfactory and undramatic manner. (laughs) But um... That's what she said. (laughs) Christian Bay's out. I... (laughs) I did hear Steph giggle when you said that, and I thought, "Now, nope, too yep. late, too late to hit." I know. It. <laughs> yeah, and it was uh, it was too hard to rephrase. So yeah. there you go. <laughs> Mind you, it's nice to feed Steph the odd uh, line. <laughs> it is always fun to hear her little her little chuckle, and in the, in the, uh, we hear that absolutely. a lot, actually. <laughs> <laughs> All right, thank you, Christian. Um, Eugene, uh, let's see. I wrote to you guys a couple of months back with uh, how I got here. Uh, Just a quick recap to remind you who I am. My name is Eugene Houston, and I live in Las Vegas, Nevada. I'm a first officer for Roadrunner Airlines. A number of years back, I was flying at Acme Junior, Sky West, 
when then First Officer Steve Horn, who told me about your podcast, I thought I'd start from the beginning. I'm now at the episode just past your solar eclipse special, and I'm working on catching up. He inspired me to write in a How I Got Here. I was actually just finishing up my recurrent training when Steve texted me to let me know he just heard it, so I skipped ahead on my deadhead uh, from Dallas Love Field, where our training center headquarters is located, back home to Las Vegas. It was episode 368. My first flight off probation, I happened to fall or happened to fall on my 41st birthday, and the flight attendants found out it was my birthday. We just so happened to have a youth traveling choir on board. Yeah, I like to always have them along with me as well, just in case. Well, it's, just, it, it's great when you do a go around; they can sing the song. Yeah, it's probably, you have to do the rehearsal beforehand just to make sure everybody's oh, yeah. on the same. No, okay. <laughs> and uh, the flight attendants made a crown with the pretzels and had me stand uh, in front while the plane sang happy birthday to me. I think the, oh, the little pretzels were the actual bag. I don't think they actually took the pretzels out. I think they were the bags of pretzels that are like a bright orange. I'll, I'll put a, the, a link to the video in the show notes so you can watch it. But I'm going to play the, um, the video so you can hear or the uh, the youth traveling choir as they serenaded uh, Eugene at the front of the airplane with his crown of pretzel bags. Here we go. I have to admit, I watched the the movie before I read what he wrote here, and I thought it was just like a, a bunch of regular passengers. I'm thinking, oh my gosh, they sound great. <laughs> they were a traveling youth choir. <laughs> but, oh, okay, that makes more sense now. <laughs> well, I must admit, whenever I got one of those uh, big bunches of uh, of school kids uh, on a on a trip, or they are sports teams or whatever, and sometimes you can get uh, thirty or forty of them on an aircraft. I always used to try and make an effort to go back and say hello, find out their history, speak to their teachers, and uh, try and make a mention on the on a PA because uh, you know it's a great exciting thing for them uh, to be traveling around the world and doing whatever it is they're doing for choirs visiting or sports teams or whatever. So uh, I always brilliant, and that was fantastic. Yeah, that was great. And again, I'll put a link to the uh, video so you can see. Uh, it's from the vantage point of the back of the airplane pointed forwards and you can see uh, Eugene up there in the front and uh, it's it's a good time. It's almost like being there. Ah. All right. Hey, so I'm leaving out of Cleveland um, a few weeks back. I, for, I meant to mention this earlier, but uh, Matt, beat me, be, <laughs> Matt beat me to it. Um, so I'm showing up for the morning flight out of Cleveland and as I'm approaching the the door to the uh, jetway, uh, I see this guy stand up, and I'm thinking, uh-oh, this guy looks like really official. He's wearing a, 
I think you were wearing a business suit or something that looked really official. I'm thinking, uh-oh, FAA. <laughs> I'm going to get a check ride. Um, and a guy comes up and goes, Captain Jeff. And I went, ooh, maybe this is not a check ride. And I said, yeah. And he said, hey, this is uh, Matt. I've been listening to your show and blah, 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 blah. And he said more than blah, 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 blah. Uh, let me tell you what he, well, he sent in some feedback. Uh, so um, let me take it from that. He says, after a couple of years of ghosting and lurking alongside the show, I finally feel compelled to share feedback, especially after successfully stalking and accosting Captain Jeff in Cleveland on our way to Atlanta in early May. And what a super landing that was. I don't know if he's being facetious or not. As I told Jeff, I'm a years-long precious stone traveler with Acme Airlines, logging around 200 segments per year, mainly for work, and thanks to the APG calendar feature, I was able to finally marry up our schedules for a quick pre-flight greeting, and will hope to do so again. I hope so too as well, Matt. As I've enjoyed the weekly dialogue, I've thought for a while now of the various degrees of separation I have with each of you. Similar to Captain Jeff, I lived in Roswell, Georgia, for a few years. It's a lovely place with fond memories, apart from the commuting on uh, Highway 400 bit. I'm also a former countrymate of Captain Nick, having attended school in London for seven years earlier in life, and I therefore have a special and personal appreciation for the country and its people. I love England, came of age there in my teens, and return frequently. I've also yeah the the, uh, the girls here are still looking for you <laughs> yeah you might want, not want to go back or at least like disguise yourself <laughs> or something <laughs> I've also greatly enjoyed hearing of Captain Dana's motivation and drive to achieve what he has now achieved left seat with a mainline carrier well done and kudos I have a vaguely similar experience having driven cross country trucks throughout college to make that financially possible which always keeping in mind the end game. Happily, it's all worked out well for the both of us. Like Dr. Steph, I'm a marathon runner with three races now under my belt in London, St. George, Utah, and Western Ireland. Uh, is that, uh, how would you pronounce that? Con, Con- marathon? Connie marathon? I don't know. I'm not even going to try. Okay. All of which I would highly recommend. I know London is on your list and it's not to be missed. I look forward to your updates on the travel and races you take on. Congratulations for your motivation and success while balancing alongside a busy professional schedule. And like all of you, I'm a pilot and IPA drinker, generally performed at separate times, however. Oh, (laughs) another drunk. Great. (laughs) He says generally performed at separate times. I finally found the time and funds to launch and complete my PPL at age 56, and I'm now diving into IFR training at 58 years. I have a plane on order for delivery in a couple of months and plan to fill many of my post-work days with adventures in it. Ooh, that sounds like fun. Can't wait to hear more about that. Yeah. My question for the group relates to age and learning. The overall mass of information and learning required to become proficient and secure new ratings seems overwhelming at times, and I often wonder how much that might have to do with this uh, stage of life. I'm curious of the APG perspective regarding age and learning from a personal experience perspective. I trained with a number of CFIs to achieve my private pilot uh, certificate and found a not surprising processing speed difference among the younger and faster of them compared to my overall learning speed, which is somewhat slower. I definitely observe a more methodical learning process in myself as time goes on. 
as well as a need for more repetitive training on information and maneuvers in order to maintain the retention required to progress to next steps. Do Captain Jeff and Captain Nick have any real-world experiences to share over the course of their careers where they can compare their processing speeds of flying at a younger age with what they experience today and how it may noticeably differ, if at all? Do Captain Dana and Dr. Stephanie have any experience to share on stages of learning and its effect on them personally. Unfortunately, they're both gone. I probably should have saved this for when everybody was here. Sorry about that. Um, I'm sorry to have missed Dana recently in my hometown of Chapel Hill, and we'll be keeping an eye on the calendar to see if Redo is on tap. Finally, as a plain tales idea, I wonder if Captain Nick has any interest in covering the 30-year anniversary of the saga of United Airlines 232, which met a fateful end in July 1989, following significant flight control failure and a subsequently miraculous saving of many lives by the flight crew during that abominable flight situation. I'd love the professional commentary and assessment of this as an overall subject. If already covered in an earlier episode, feel free to ignore. I don't think you've covered that one, have you? Uh, two, 232? No, I haven't, but I did uh, write to Matt and say that because it's such a well-known incident, mm-hmm. uh, I try and do stories that are not um, commonly... Uh, understood or haven't been heard before because they're different and I like to bring a different aspect. And uh, so I, I, I'm unlikely to do that one. Uh, okay. But having said that, I did Tenerife mm-hmm. and perhaps it's time to do that because it was a while ago, but certainly in the States, it's an extremely well-known uh, yes. crash. I so enjoy the podcast community on my weekly walks to and from the gym and to and from the gym and you enhance the experience greatly. Best of luck to Captain Nick on the back recovery, and perhaps I'll find a way to Oshkosh this year. Oh, that'd be great, Matt. Oh, yeah, man, definitely. Matt in Chapel Hill, I uh, put a little, um, he gave me his business card, and he's the chief financial officer of Aurora Plastics. And uh, that's in uh, Ohio, uh, Streetsboro, Ohio. And that's why he kind of commutes back and forth between his home in Chapel Hill and his uh, workplace in uh, Ohio. Um, as far as the uh, question that he had for you and I, Captain Nick, age and uh, the ability for us to uh, perhaps not process things as quickly as we once did when we were in our 20s and 30s, I know for sure that's true for me. Um, yeah. Yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know whether it's objective or subjective, Jeff. Because um, I think when we're younger, we're much less likely to go to the same lengths that we are now, because we understand the full ramifications of not knowing something properly. We're captains, and if we were to retrain on equipment, we'd have to do so at a captain's level, um, and that's higher than you know the, the half of the company. Um, so uh, it. It is different, um, and I have absolutely no doubt that we slow down a bit. But on the other hand, we bring a lot of experience and handling capability. So I think that can offset uh, the situation for us. For um, Matt, of course, he's uh, he's coming in a flying, um, I say late in life, but he's a mature chap. Um, so... Yes, I would take things at your own pace. There's no reason for you to rush. There's no reason for you to try and keep pace with others. Uh, uh, You're not in the um, going into the uh, commercial world, so it's not like you're competing for a job. 
So just do things uh, and work at them until you're comfortable at them and find an instructor that's sympathetic with that. So he doesn't try and push you too hard and you don't progress until you feel you've absorbed the previous lessons and are happy to move on. Very good point. I'm absolutely positive that if I got back into a military jet trainer and went out to an area and started doing some of the uh, acrobatics, aerobatics that we used to do, uh, I'd probably black out uh, to begin with with the high, with the high G-forces <laughs> uh, because physiologically I'm not the same person. And, you know, my brain's different as well. But as Captain Nick made a good point of, uh, the fact that uh, we may not be able to process and, and react as quickly as we once did when we were a much, much younger men, uh, I think that our experience more than offsets for that lack of sheer physiological performance. Yeah, we've, we've seen it before, so we can anticipate much easier than someone who's reaching this for the first time. And in addition, in our world, uh, a fast reaction time is can sometimes be a distinct disadvantage. If you react to a situation too fast, uh, you can often end up going down the garden path and leading yourself into worse problems. I agree. I agree. You know, and honestly, uh, one of the, you know, I mentioned earlier on the show what what I'm going to do when they finally kick me off kicking and screaming of this airplane. I've been on this airplane for, (laughs) I've been uh, more than 17 years now. And, you know, so that was the last time that I went through a major school learning an aircraft that I'd never been on before and systems that I'd never heard of and uh, getting a type rating, which is a very stressful, uh, intense thing. Uh, It's been a long, long time uh, since I've been in the schoolhouse to that level of, um, of pressure and, and focus and the idea of taking on a new airplane. Well, it's not a new airplane, but a new airplane to me, um, getting a new type rating and everything else is, I have to say a little daunting. I'm not sure how I'm going to handle that. If I, if I make it that, you know, my decision uh, on the other hand, you know, moving to the, uh, the Boeing 717, I would use air quotes, Boeing 717, um, it would be a much easier transition for me because essentially all the systems are the same and there, there's not a lot of difference, um, in the two, uh, airplanes and it's not a new type rating. It's the same type rating I have nine, which is a DC nine type rating, uh, never having flown a real DC nine. But anyway, that's just something that, uh, is in the back of my mind and, and something that will probably play a big part in my decision, uh, in the next few years. So we'll see. I'm not sure I want to that. I'm not sure I want that challenge. Some people go, yeah, go for that challenge. Like Steph would go, oh yeah, I'm up for the challenge, you know, but no, I'm thinking I'm pretty comfortable where I am right now. So I don't know if I'm going to do that. We'll see. Well, I think we can all face the challenge if we absolutely have to. Right. And we'll, we'll get through it because we're good pilots and we know how to do this. Mm -hmm. Um, But you'll have to bleep that. Um, but, uh, you know, if you don't have to, then life's a lot more comfortable. Right. There's a lot to be said about being comfortable, isn't it? Yes, there is. You'll <laughs> live longer. That's for sure. Yeah. All right. Um, moving on quickly. We only have about 10 minutes left. Um, thank you, Liz, for keeping track of that for us. Uh, oh, this is a, She's still awake. Yeah. Can you believe it? I thought she was going to go. She said something about going to bed and I said, yeah, "Yeah, nobody snoring in the sofa. (laughs) No one's ever been known to fall asleep listening to my voice. (laughs) (laughs) In fact, I think I've told you before, uh, sometimes when I'm editing the show and listening to my own voice, I end up 
like waking up after I don't know how long the thing's been going on. Like, okay, I get it. Now I know why people fall asleep. I, I put Very myself good. to sleep. Uh, let's see. Chris Ryerson via Facebook. Uh, he says, I was just listening to APG 373 and as always, a fabulous installment of the old pilot's plane tales. I'm a dragonfly bio- biologist. I didn't know there was such a thing. A dragonfly <laughs> biologist as well as an av geek. And I wanted to tell Captain Nick he did an excellent job with insect taxonomy. Your pronunciations were spot on. Well, well that was a lucky day. <laughs> <laughs> That's very good. Did you have to go through and kind of look at pronunciations or did you just kind of? Yeah, I had to work on those a bit. Yeah, yeah well, about it. Well, I'm still impressed. And so is he. He says, I'm working my way back through all the old episodes and then sometimes jump forward to the new ones. I've gone back to 295 now in just a month and a half. It's a wonder I get any sciencing done around here when I'm so busy thinking about airplanes. I think that qualifies as a serious case of APG syndrome, don't you? Yeah, I do. <laughs> Thank you for keeping my eyes in the sky and my head in the clouds. Fair winds, smooth landings, and gallons of beer to you all. Ooh, love, Chris. Thank oh, you, Chris. That's very kind, Chris. Uh, the, the next round's on you. But yes. thank you very much indeed for your very kind comments. Much appreciated. Yeah, quite a compliment. Did he say where he was? No. Yeah. No, he's in a mental asylum somewhere. Very, very clever of you, to, so we can't figure out where he is so we can get our free beer. Darn it. Yeah. <laughs> we love you too, Chris. We really do. Um, let's see. Quickly, um, Mario. I think that's the way you pronounce his name. My name is M-U-R-I-L-O. Murillo? Murillo, maybe. And this is my second feedback, being listened to you guys for four years now and have having met uh, Captain Jeff and Captain Nick about three years ago in a meetup at the DeKalb Peachtree Airport. I do remember this, Marilla. Um We will send a picture we took that day, or will send a picture. So he did. We'll put that in the show notes. Look at how young we were back then, Nick. Yeah, thanks. And I look, I'm slim. Yeah, me too. What, hap- what I happened? <laughs> I don't know. And that was only three years ago. That does not bode well for the future, does it? Um, no, it does not. Yeah. Anyway, um, I used to fly a Hawker 800 in Brazil, but decided to come to America to live the American dream and haven't been able to fly again. So you guys are the closest for uh, from aviation I can get here. About the feedback on APG 374 about oxygen masks. Oh, see, I see what he's doing here. He, he um, compliments us, and then he starts in with his criticism. So here we go. About the feedback on APG 374 about oxygen masks. I used to work at Acme's customer service, and I need to say that you guys got a little below the 50% mark on this one. What? Yeah, I know. Can you believe it? Again? I know. At least on Acme, all airplanes with three and three seat configurations, there are four masks on each side. But on the aircraft with three and two configuration, like the ones that Dana and I fly, there are four masks on the side that there are three seats and only two on the side that only have two seats. That's why lap children cannot sit on the two seat side. That makes a lot of sense actually. And I didn't know that. Uh, Well, I mean, how often do you go and open those things and look at it? Never. (laughs) Exactly. I mean, it's like one of those things you probably learn about in a book once and that's it. Yeah. I don't, I don't recall even learning about that, but maybe I need to look it through in our uh, volume two where that information would be 
take a look at that. Well, you only need a 50% pass mark in Acme, don't you? So you, yeah. that was probably one of the 50% you got wrong. Well, old codgers like me, it's more like 30%, I think. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, he says, thanks a lot for the effort you guys have putting this podcast together. I can tell you that it's the best part of my week. When I'm working on something, I don't like it all. But these three hours, I feel like flying again. Well, I can assure you, Marilla, there's no effort required on my half part at all. Yeah, and, 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 and mine either. It shows. <laughs> if there were effort involved, then we probably would have stopped doing this some time ago. Yeah. Anyway, um, so thank you again for your nice compliments and for setting us straight. Um, you know, Larry uh, has a quick one here from Airways Magazine. He says, what? Wrong airplane picture? And he shows us, there's a picture of a, dro- a, a droid, a drone, and uh, the, the headline says, Delta announces New York, JFK, Mumbai flights. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think DJI are quite up to doing that. Yet. I don't think the battery technology is quite there yet. And I think yeah. it'd be kind of difficult to carry many passengers on that drone. Well, mind you, with that GoPro, you get some good pictures. Yeah, it looks like uh, it's got one of those, um, one of those uh, yeah, GoPro cameras on there. Yeah. Uh, that's why you said that. Um, but anyway, uh, <laughs> now that I'm thinking about what you just said, uh, so if you ignore the the headline there for the or a caption right below it, it says Frankfurt Main International Airport, Germany was forced to cancel 143 flights and divert 48 incoming aircraft because of a drone siding within the airport's perimeter. So obviously that's what <laughs> that's the reason why wow, I had this drone. Actually, that's a significant event. Diverted 48 aircraft. Uh, and I don't remember Ooh. when this happened. No, Do I you? didn't hear about anything. Whereas the Gatwick incident, yeah, it was very uh, went worldwide. Right. Interesting how the Germans were able to keep that under wraps, huh? Yeah. I anyway, how they did that. Obviously, the person that was responsible for the copy on this particular thing uh, put the wrong headline in there. But it is funny. Thank you, Larry. For he always comes up with these little nuggets. Do appreciate Brilliant. that. Uh, here's a quick one from Brooke. Uh, Brooks Bradley, she says, I recently discovered your podcast and I'm already addicted. The good thing about recently discovering you guys is that I have a lot of episodes to experience. I'll be sad once I'm caught up. It'll be hard to wait a week for the new one to be released. Let's not focus on that, though. I'm thrilled to have all these previously released episodes available. Thank you for all the hard work and all the hours that you guys put into this amazing podcast. Much respect and appreciation for you all. Brooke Spread. What a lovely thing to say. And I am just a fan of yours because of that beautiful dog in the background with its pink earmuffs on. Are they is that cool? Do you think that those are, don't they make like custom earmuffs and stuff like that for animals? I wonder if that's what those are that are on there. Well, I'm assuming because it, it like might be a bit noisy in the airplane yeah. and uh, the dog has uh, pink earmuffs on. <laughs> <laughs> that is great sweet <laughs> thank you brooke i think she lives on the south side and uh like they live in an air park or something so this probably their airplane that's pretty cool oh really she's there with her dog oh, and cool. some other dude probably her husband but she doesn't <laughs> say what the airplane is i don't know no. well that's not important brooke oh, right back right. tell us what the airplane is yeah please right. okay and i think we can squeeze in one more maybe let's see no so the that interest to the bishop yeah um you know what? Nope. I don't think so. I think everything else here is going to take a little bit too much time. So this would be a good time to end 
the show. We're almost at the no! three hour point. I know, I know. Well, we promise we'll get back to these that we missed on uh, today's show, and we're going to cover uh, a lot more. And if you want to send us feedback, uh, you can do that by uh, email feedback at airlinepilotguy.com. Uh, you can uh, use your Airline Pilot Guy app on your iPhone or your Android device. And those are free apps, and there's a way for you to send us feedback that way. In fact, that's what Brooke used when she sent us this feedback. Um, you can use on the website, we have SpeakPipe, uh, where you can uh, click uh, a button, and it will uh, use whatever microphone you have on whatever equipment you're using to access it, and you can send us some audio feedback. Or you can just use your little uh, sound voice memos app or whatever on your smartphone and then attach it to your feedback at feedback at airlinepilotguy.com. So many ways to send us feedback. Um, we're also, yeah. um, we're also on the uh, social meds, the, the social meds, as I like to say, the social media channels. And uh, Nick, you want to take a stab at that? Uh, yeah, sure. Can I first put a tiny advert in? Yeah. Uh, a BA cabin crew, listen up. If you're a, a BA cabin crew member, flight attendant, uh, then, uh, and particularly from the golden years, innovative commas, air quotes from uh, of BA, on the 6th of June, there's going to be uh, a meetup uh, of you guys. And uh, there's a lot of folks attending, about 120 at the moment. Uh, and it's, uh, I was told about it by Dave Self, who's a radio amateur like myself. And uh, he said, if any of your listeners are BA cabin crew and want details, can you please write to us, uh, uh, APG crew, and then we will forward the emails to uh, Dave Self. And um, uh, social media, right, Facebook, APG, uh, sorry, Airline Pilot Guy is the uh, tag you want to add on to the normal uh, preamble of uh, facebook.com forward slash uh, and if you want to have us on twitter if you pardon the expression you can get us at at apg crew very good and uh we are also on slack and hillel is going to tell us about that apg listeners please join us on our slack team slack is a communication coordination and sharing platform that works on your mobile laptop or browser on slack we share ideas and news we suggest episode and Plain Tales topics. We plan events and meetups. To get into the Slack team, please email me at slack at airlinepilotguy.com. That's S-L-A-C-K, Sierra, Lima, Alpha, Charlie, Kilo at airlinepilotguy.com. Or send me a tweet with your preferred email address to at Hillel, and I'll send you an invitation. That's Hillel, spelled H-I-1-1-E-1. Hotel India, one one Echo One, and see you in Slack. Thank you, Hillel. Become an APG Slacker, just like Nick and Hillel and so many others. Well, now I'm retired. I'm a big Slacker. A very, very good big Slacker. <laughs> yeah, no, you know what? I think you're. I knew where you were going. There. I think that you have been busier <laughs> since you have been quote unquote retired than you were when you were flying trips. Yeah, it appears the act of retirement is actually quite a busy time. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, anyway, um, yeah, and again, just a quick mention, the Airline Pilot Guy Show website uh, where they uh, you can listen to the podcast. You can, uh, uh, you can find when we're doing the show live, uh, you can click on that, and it takes you to the YouTube live page, and you can join all the great people in the chat room 
while we're recording live and uh, click on the calendar and you can see the APG community calendar and that's where we put the notices for when we're going to be when we think we're going to be recording the show and at what time and other meetups and stuff so it's a great way to keep uh, track of everything going on within the community uh, information about the APG crew and uh, Plain Tales. I mentioned that earlier. Uh, we have a page dedicated to uh, the wonderful Plain Tales. Uh, we have an APG library. Our librarian, Tiffany, uh, kind of manages that. And Ooh, uh, I'm, I must pass on this book I've got. Yeah, you should. She'll probably do it before you know it. She'll send me a, an email and say, I've added that book to the library. Um, Vietnam to Western Airlines by Bruce Cowie. There you go. Uh, thank you. And uh, information about the Coffee Fund, APG Store, where we have merchandise like T-shirts and that kind of thing. And uh, that's about it. I mean, what, what more could you want, really? And until next time. Uh, free yeah. IPA? Oh, yeah. With, yeah. I don't see that page on here. We need <laughs> to add that. show. <laughs> <laughs> A way for you to send us IPA. Yes, every For the recording perfect. of every show. We'd appreciate that, too. Anyway, uh, but, you know, the Coffee Fund works as well. So, with that, thank you for listening, subscribing, reviewing, and all that. And until next time, wishing you clear skies and limited visibility and tailwinds. Talons, Douglas. Cheers, everybody. Bye, folks. Bye. Wow. Good day.